everyone. Welcome to Game Face episode 163 on Sifted Games at sifted.net. We got a big show for you guys today. Not as big as the last couple weeks. Nah, but what is? Our last two episodes have been at least three hours and 15 minutes. Not going to be quite that long today. We do have some great topics to discuss with you guys. Also have something to show you guys before we get started. So I told you last week that we got our stickers in for one of our Patreon tiers, and I brought them to show them to you guys. Hopefully, should we go to the one shot, Sam, do you think, to show them the best? Yeah. So we have three different sticker designs. And if you're a patron at $15 or more per month, you'll get a mailing that has all three in the mailing. So you'll get all three of these. So first, I'm going to show you the smallest one, and hopefully it shows up on camera. So this uses the kind of graffiti-styled sifted logo. These stickers are clear. The gold was supposed to be Pittsburgh gold, like the Steelers and the Penguins. But I think they got the coloring a little goofy. It looks a little bit more orange than gold. Uh, but this is small, something yeah, you can 49ers put. 49ers gold. Yeah, I guess it is actually a little closer to that. Um, but this is something you can put on your car window or whatever. It's clear, uh, so you'll only see the orange or gold whenever you actually apply the sticker. And then we have a white joystick sticker. All these are vinyl, by the way, and you can put them on anything and they'll be good in the weather. So if you put these on your car window or whatever, they should hold up. You'll get one of those. And then the third one is a mini bumper sticker. It just says Sifter. And then it has the joystick logo as the eye for Sifter. So put these things on your car, folks. Put them on the back. So people are sitting in traffic and they're like, what the hell is that? Is that? Why is he softer? Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> you'll probably get a lot of questions about this one if you put it on your car. But anyway, uh, you'll get one of each of these if you're pledging at $15 or more. Uh, if you were pledging last month at 15 or more and maybe you dropped your pledge for this month, we're going to retroactively send these out. So uh, we'll be checking all the data on Patreon and making sure everybody who has earned uh, one of these mailings gets one of them. One thing I would ask from you guys, if you would not mind, is send us on Patreon a direct message with your shipping address. We're going to have to do that, obviously, uh, for every single person. I think there's over like 100 or something. Yeah, you should be able to do a thing on Patreon that like asks people. So one of the issues we've had is when we switched over to our Patreon, and again, pay attention to this, guys. When we switched over to our Patreon and changed like the goals in the tiers, it didn't automatically slot people into the new tiers. Hmm. Like those people have to physically say, I want to pledge at that tier to get added to it. So when we set up the tier for this, uh, when you set up a tier on Patreon, you can say, okay, is there something associated with this that you need to ship? Mm-hmm. And so I did. And basically what it means is when someone pledges to that, they'll ask them for their address right away. So while there are well over 100 people who are pledging at this tier or higher, if you actually look at that tier, there's only like five people in it. Um, so one, if you could send us, if you're, if you're pledging 15 or more per month, or you did last month, uh, send us a direct message with your address. The other thing I would ask is for you guys to go and physically pledge to those tiers. It's, it's just a snafu with the way Patreon works. I send a message to their support, and they're like, yeah, we're aware of it, we're working on it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I don't think there's a fix coming soon. So uh, make sure you go and pledge at a specific tier, and that'll help us shipping stuff out to you folks. And also send us a message with your address. If you don't do it, it's okay. We're going to go and we're going to send out messages to everybody. It would be a lot easier if you guys just sent it to us instead of us having to go and track every single person down. But anyway, I'm really excited with how these stickers turned out. And I uh, hope you guys like them too. And hopefully you'll stick them someplace where other people will see them and we'll get some promotion out of them. So 
enjoy. Uh, they'll be coming very soon. As soon as you get us your address, we'll be ship shipping them out probably this Saturday. A lot of mailings, like 100 and some mailings we're going to have to do. So anyway, really happy with how these turned out, and I hope you guys like them too. And uh, with that, let's get on with the show. Uh, one note, I put this in the chat, but I am going to mention it in the show. The live version of Game Face today will have no show graphics uh, because our images got corrupted somehow on the external drive that we used to bring everything over here. Thank God the B-roll didn't get messed up, but all the images did. So our lower thirds are going to be put in, and people who are watching the archive of this are like, what are you talking about? Because they're going to be in that version of the show. But for you guys live, there's not going to be any lower thirds today. So with that... Let's get on with the show. We're going to kick off the show with a game that we talked about last week. Uh, and as always, we kind of do our initial impressions of a game and then deliver our final impressions. And that game is Yoshi's Crafted World. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this game because it's not... I mean, I can look at the data on Sifted and see how many people care about each game. This has not been a game that's been tracking really high. You can look at my face and see how yeah. much I care about this game. <laughs> right. Despite the fact that this is really like the only Switch first party game yeah. in a while, and it will be the only for one a while. for a while. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to talk about it again. And I think the main reason I want to talk about it again is because my impressions of the game changed pretty drastically the more I played it. So the first thing I should say is the game ended up being way longer than I thought it was going to be. Like, way longer. So, uh, like I said last week, the way the game is set up, it has a 2D map screen, like a 2D Mario game. And you just follow predetermined paths through the map, and you can kind of see, or at least I thought I could see, how big the game was. Well, it also has kind of a fog of war that obscures some of that stuff. So, as I made my way through the map, it ended up cracking open, and the game ended up being much bigger than I thought. Uh, by the time everything was said and done, I'm guessing this game took me almost 20 hours to finish, hmm. which is crazy for a Yoshi game. I mean, most Yoshi games you can finish in like six or seven hours. Uh, the other thing I forgot to mention last week that I should have is that this game is not developed by Nintendo. It is made by a developer called Good Feel, which I, I, love, <laughs> I love that name. Only a Japanese developer would be called Good Feel. Uh, and I think that may have contributed to some of the game's delays. Because if you remember, this game was shown... When the Switch was announced, yeah, this game has been in development for a really long time, and now that I've played it, I kind of understand why. Another thing that is... So now we're just waiting on, what, Shin Megami Tensei 4 or whatever? That's pretty much the last one left mm -hmm. of the... From that initial From direct. that initial batch, yeah. And who knows when that's coming. Yeah. Like, we've got, like, one trailer of that game still at this point. So, the other thing that changed drastically for me, last week I said it was really, really easy. And it still is easy, but there's kind of some caveats with that. So I talked about last week about how there are costumes in the game. And as you play the game, you earn coins. And then there's a bubblegum machine where you can go and basically buy a loot box with your in-game currency. You don't have to spend real money on them. And uh, basically how the costumes work is they're extra health segments. And then the, the costumes are rated on rarity. So once you get a super rare costume... It actually completely doubles your health bar in the game. So basically it's a covering that it has its own health bar. And once it loses all, its, all of its uh, hit points, it disappears. And then you're just left with Yoshi. And uh, if you play with a super rare costume, which gives you double the health, the game is really easy. Uh, but what I found is the game got was wearing on, and I got into the later parts of the game, is once you lose your costume... You can't put it back on again until you restart the level again. And the game has tons of mid-mission checkpoints. And uh, so if you didn't want to start the whole mission over again, you'd have to finish that level with just one health bar. 
And what I found is in the latter parts of the game, finishing some of these levels with one health bar, are, it's pretty freaking challenging. It's not Sekiro or Dark Souls challenging, but you have to be on point. You have to be really, really good to get through some of them. And again, the checkpoints, they're not generous. Some of them are kind of evil as far as how far you have to go back if you die, but at least you don't have to play the whole level again. So. I would have to say that this game in particular maybe changed more than any game from the last couple years from what I played at first to what it ultimately ended up being. Uh, so it's about 20 hours long. And the other thing about that is once you finish the game, that's not, it's not over. It, a whole brand new kind of branch of worlds opens up and another boss opens up. Another thing I mentioned about last week was you didn't really have to worry about collecting enough flowers to move on. That stayed true for the most part for the main campaign. The final boss, you need 30 flowers. And I did have to go back and like collect, I think, two to get to that 30 for the final boss. But then those next extra levels, the game plus, so to speak, to get into those levels, you need another 30 flowers for the first one. Then you need another 50 flowers for the next one. Then you need, I think, 70 or 90 for that third level. And then once you do that, you need more to fight the boss. So basically to complete the, the game in its entirety, you need pretty much every flower. And uh, that's a pretty tall task. Cause I'll be honest with you, by the time I got to the end of this, I was pretty much done with it. Um, uh, the other thing I would say is the more I played and the more it demanded of me as a player, the more the cracks in the control scheme started to show up a little bit. Uh, so, you know, there's basically two parts of the gameplay. There's the platforming, and a lot of that is puzzle solving. There is some challenging platforming towards the end, but most of it is just puzzle solving, kind of poking around the environment, finding ways to get to the end of the level. The other part is tossing the eggs. And one thing that I found as you start playing the harder parts of the game is you need to have very quick response times going from the platforming to the egg shooting. And there is like a delay. I don't know if it's an animation that needs to play out before it will bring up the egg throwing, but it infuriated me. So many times I was like, okay, now I need to bring up the egg. And I hit the button to bring up the egg cursor and just nothing happened. And I tap it again and it would come up. Now there is, and I went and looked in the menus, there is an alternative setting for that. You can set it up so if you just hold the button, it will bring up the cursor and then you can move it around and then you release it to fire the egg. But in the heat of everything else in the game, I found it to be way too cumbersome and it didn't work great. So visually, I've seen a lot of people say they like the art style. I agree. And there's some really cool, I mean, they play the whole paper motif to a T. Like I also mentioned last week that I thought some of the cinematics had frame rate issues. As it turns out, that was intentional. So the cinematics in this game generally are paper, are paper being turned into a boss or turned into something. And I think they tried to make it look like it was stop motion animation, mm. but it really, it just looks really stuttery and weird. Uh, but they do hold up this art style all the way to the end. Um, it does start to get pretty creative with it towards the end of the game. And I would say that this is one of those rare games in 2019 where the more you play it, the better it gets. Um, as far as like the challenges it's asking of you, of the player, as far as the visual style. Um, and finally, it kind of started to put up a fight as well. So I, I like this game more now than I did when I talked about it last week. And I just wanted to kind of bring it up. Um, I would say it's one of the, maybe the best 3D Yoshi game ever. I know that's not a oh, high bar yeah, to cross. It's not a bold claim. It's not exactly a hot take, so to speak. But it's, 
I mean, it's a legit game. I really thought when I had played kind of the first handful of hours of it that it was just kind of a, a flash-in-the-pan, fly-by-night type of game. And then I kept digging into it and digging into it and found that it was something totally different. Yeah, well, these guys, I mean, I looked them up uh, while you were uh, talking about the later stuff. And uh, they, they, have, they did do Woolly World, and they did uh, Epic Yarn. They've been doing stuff for Nintendo. They're not owned by Nintendo, but they have been doing stuff for Nintendo for over 10 years. Yeah. Um, I would guess the delay on this came from switching Unreal. Possible. Um, just because, I mean, we've seen even uh, even other other major studios have uh, run into issues. If you watch that, um, uh, new engines are scary. Um, if you watch that, uh, the Days Gone little feature thing they put out, um, they talk about how um, it's like a, like things you may you probably don't know about Days Gone or something. And one of the developers talks about how um, when they got the Unreal Engine, they found out that there was no support for two-wheeled vehicles. <laughs> and, they, of course, they, he's a biker, so right. that's a problem. Yeah. So in, in their workaround for it is that all the bikes in the game are, in fact, four-wheeled vehicles. But the other two wheels are, like, bent horizontally, so they're not touching the ground. And then they're made invisible. Huh. And, and and intangible. Are you kidding? So me? Uh, so if you looked at like the like the actual object that the that the the bike is in in Days Gone in the in the Unreal Engine, it's like a four wheeled bike, but like the bike the second set of two tires is like bent sideways and intangible. So like you're riding like a, and it's all balanced, so it feels like you're riding a normal bike. But there is there was no support for just a vehicle with two wheels, so they just like bent the other wheels horizontally and did huh. it that way. That's crazy. So like figuring out your workarounds on on even a, even an engine as well supported as Unreal can be uh, a test. So yeah, that, that's probably what I because these guys have been doing kind of their the cutesy stuff for Nintendo for a long time now. Yeah. And their games in the past, I felt like, looked better, relatively speaking, to what else was on the platform than this game does. Uh, Woolly World definitely seemed like seems sharper than this. Yeah, the texturing or in this game... Just like an image quality. If you like, play this game on a big TV, like I have a 65-inch plasma that I played it on, and it, yeah, it suffers on a bigger display. You guys are probably was, watching this on your... There was a definite crispness to Woolly World that this doesn't seem to have. Yeah, you guys are watching this probably on a computer monitor right now, and if you are... The game looks great on a computer monitor. Like, we're looking at it right now on our monitor from our TriCaster, and it looks amazing. But you put it on a bigger TV, it starts to crack up a little bit. The other thing I would say, too, is that the game is a little mean-spirited. There's, <laughs> and seriously, there's some parts in the game where you can just tell the developers are like, oh, we're going to stick it to them right here. I, I actually struggle. I know I mentioned last week that maybe this is a great kids game. I struggle now to see a kid finishing this game, to be honest with you. Um, maybe I'm wrong. I don't have kids, so maybe kids are way better at games than I think they are, and they probably are. And they probably are. But I would think that this game would be something that you would have to play with your kid and kind of help them at certain points. I don't know. Have you have you played NES games recently? Like you play some of that shit, and you're like, how did we do this when we were ten? Like it was, they're really hard. Yeah, I mean the other part too, though. Yeah, nothing else to play. You're just gonna throw yourself at that thing over and over. Yeah, and over yeah, again exactly. And the other thing too is that the games weren't that long back then. If you could just make it all the way through the game very quickly, you'd finish most of them in like four or five hours. And a lot of times, it's you know mm -hmm. you'd spend sixty playing a game, but it's just because you kept dying over and over and yeah. you wouldn't give yeah. up. So and how many people finished Ghosts and Goblins? No, and probably then, none. And then even if you did, you then had to play it again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's just mean. Yeah. This game it, it, this game does have some mean parts, and it's shocking, too, because you're like, wait, this is a Yoshi game. Like, what the hell is going on? Like, who decided to design this this way? Uh, so this game, actually, if you're an adult who likes Nintendo's games and you want to challenge, like, I would re recommend this game 
Uh, I think it'll put a lot of people to the test, believe it or not. And it does start out pretty easy. You're probably listening to me right now. You'll start playing and be like, what the hell? Shane was right when he talked about it the first time. Keep playing. And you'll get to some parts in the game where it really, really tests your metal. So I like Yoshi's Crafted World more than I did at first blush. I ended up enjoying it a lot more. Played all the way to the end. At least spent 20 hours with it. It's, you know, I said last week as well that, you know, maybe this game should only be worth 40 bucks. I don't know if I'm going to come off of that yet. Um, it, it, I think it's still hard to rationalize just a single-player game like this for 60 bucks if it's not a gigantic 60-70 hour game. Um, but like I said, there's extra content. If you have the fortitude to go back and collect every freaking flower, and I mean, that's what you have to do, uh, then maybe you'll get something out of the extra content. The other thing, too, is that those extra levels are expert difficulty. Uh, so even once you unlock them, getting through them is no easy task. So just be warned. But anyway, overall, my impressions improved as I played the game. I enjoyed it more. Uh, I know, like I said at the outset when we started discussing this topic, you know, there's not a lot to choose from for Switch right now. Um, and I would think that this is a, a viable candidate for you to buy now, whereas last week I would have said it's not. So there you go. Yoshi's Crafted World. I swear that's the last time we're going to talk about it. I swear. Until the game of the year conversation. Yeah, no, that's... The, ah, well, we'll see. Best platformer, maybe. I don't know. Oh, boy. Yeah, we'll see. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about something that broke as we were recording the show last week, and we didn't really get a chance to kind of absorb all the information and then discuss it. We talked about it in passing, kind of. Mm -hmm. And that is Bioware. And initially, it was Jason Schreier's Bioware article. Mm -hmm. Since then... Venture Beat wrote an article that basically backed up everything that Jason Schreier had written on Kotaku and added some extra stuff about the next Dragon Age. And then today, another story about Dragon Age yeah, came Schreier out. Schreier put up his own story about Dragon Age 4, which goes into much more depth about the version of it that existed before they rebooted it in 2017. Yeah. And how the, now there was just basically, there was a version of it at some point which was basically Anthem with Dragons which sounds like a very bad idea. Um, but it, you know, it sounds like Bioware's been struggling. Um, Big time. Particularly in this, in this era where EA wants games as services hell or high water. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I'm, a, I'm a big Bioware fan from back in the day. I uh, loved the Baldur's Gate games, and I loved KOTOR, and I didn't like Jade Empire very much. Um, I loved uh, Massive Mass Effect. The Mass Effect trilogy is my favorite thing from last generation, like by far, like without any question. I've played 700 hours of those games, uh, and I've actually been hankering to go back and do it again. Um, like, I love Mass Effect. I do not like Dragon Age very much, um, although I don't hate them. I hate the first Dragon Age. I do hate the first Dragon Age, but I don't hate two. <laughs> I don't hate two, despite all of its hilarious flaws. And uh, Inquisition was fine, although I don't remember much of it. I um, never played Inquisition. I uh, uh, yes, you did. You played Mass Effect Andromeda. Oh. <laughs> Mass Effect Andromeda is almost the exact same thing, except with a gun. Uh, here's an interesting factoid, though: the first ever game created or game page on Sifted was. Dragon Age Inquisition. Wow. Brent, Brent created it as like the page that we looked at to figure out whether the site was working the way we wanted it to. And now that game's almost uh, half a decade old. Yeah, just like Sifted. Yeah, so it makes perfect sense. What struck you the most about that story from Jason Schreier about Bioware? Um, 
I think the thing that struck me the most, uh, I mean, the one about the anthem expose. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. yeah. The thing that struck me the most is probably just how lacking in vision the team seemed to be from a leadership point of view for so long after Casey uh, Hudson left. I mean, the game really only found what it was... I mean, Bioware only figured out what the game was going to be like a year before it came out. Yeah, like there's stuff we're talking about like... They wasted so much When they much announced time the actual money. release date, like they didn't have a, a full mission working yeah. yet and stuff like that. Yeah, it was um, shocking. Which does remind me, like, you know, I know of some people that that, uh, that work at various Bioware places, and at one point when that, when that uh, release date popped, when the original release date popped up, um, I said in one of the one of the Discord rooms, I'm like, oh, this is for for, uh, for this date for Anthem, and one of the one of the Bioware people I know was like, uh, I need to go ask someone something. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Was that the date? Was the date accurate? Did it end up being the legit date? No, because remember they, they announced it was going to be like a certain day. It was like a March or something yeah. at some point, and then it slipped somewhere. Oh, okay. So that was when it, it was... It was the original, original release gotcha. date, which like slipped like a year, basically. Yeah. Because um, they announced for like 2018 they did, release yeah. date originally, like March 2018 or something, and that was like early 2017, mid-2017, and like no one even finished anything yet. Um, and it, it slipped to the fall, you know, to Q1 the following year. Still the same fiscal year, but uh, I think. But it's just the, like the constant refrain in, adi- in addition to the whole like people would go into unused offices to cry um, was like no one, once Casey left, no one could decide what the game was. Well, it sounded like no, there was no leadership. No. Nobody would make decisions. I said they'd go into these workshops, these brainstorms, and they'd sit there for three hours, and they'd think they'd have a solution, and then somebody would say, but what about this? Mm. And then it would par- paralyze the team, and they'd never make any decisions. Yeah. Or if they I mean, did, once they implemented something, the game had, had changed to something else a year later when the th- by the time that was implemented, and you had to adjust it again all over again. Like They, they said they took the flying in and out like ten times. Yep. <laughs> the other the other thing that I think struck me was when was showing it to uh, who's the like the head of EA like the the big the G, head of studios yeah head EA, of studios yeah and the first time they showed it to him it a it didn't have flying it was just running around shooting and he's like what the what is this crap like this and then the second time they put the like, did put the flying in and practiced that it. it was apparently similar to what that first demo was at E3 and he's like this is amazing this is exactly what it needs yeah to he be. loved it once the flying was in it. Um, yeah. The flying is really, you know, the only thing that differentiates it. From, it is. From Thank anything. God they put it in there. Um, Holy cow. I think even people that don't like the game can admit that. Yeah. Um, it's just like... It, it's astounding that... like, and it explains I can't believe f- how good the game is. Honestly. Well... After reading that story, I cannot believe it's as good as it is. Yeah, I mean, it's about... It feels about what I expected... It explained a lot. Reading that Absolutely. article explained a lot about the things about the game that I find to be shortcomings and and all that. And they are slow. You know, I loaded it up for the first time in a long time last night. And you know, they have you know done a couple. There's a couple improvements in there. Like there's it's easier to launch into things. Um, it's a little more explicit towards uh, towards you about like you know how to launch this thing or where this quest is or who needs to be talked to and like. You know, like that you can interact with this thing. You know, like that was one of the things. Like you had to get pretty close to stuff to even realize you could do anything yeah. with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's still it's still moderately fun to to tool around and blow stuff up and fly around and stuff. I just 
I don't know, um, but like reading reading that article really like it, it wasn't even so much like you know it was an explanation of what Anthem was and why it ended up the way it was. But like the biggest thing for me is just like you know there was a time when I would have listed Bioware as one of my like go to like oh, yeah. never let me down companies, yeah. and you know first off I think clearly the corporate culture or the just sort of the the leadership of how the company functions. The doctors never would have let this happen. Well, the doc sounds like the doctors absolutely let this happen because they, they talked about that Bioware magic thing where everything in pr these projects would come together in the last few months. Like they compared it to a hockey stick. And like it just in the past it worked and now it doesn't. I was talking about like the indecision and all that kind of stuff that went on for well, I don't think years he, and years. Well, I don't think Casey Hudson would have let that happen either, but he left and then he came back and then I guess sort of whipped something into shape. But like... Yeah, the, I mean, the lack of leadership doesn't just go down to the fact that Casey Hudson left the project. The lack of leadership goes down to, like, the doctors are tired, and that's, you know, that, that took away, it kind of took away the soul of the company. Absolutely. That was like what, that's me. what struck me the hardest, was that Bioware Edmonton is not infallible. Right. I mean, because we, you know, we were saying, okay, well, Andromeda was made by the B team, and this other game was worked on by this other team, but... Anthem. Yeah. That, and, and as you read the story, it is absolutely right. Bioware Edmonton ruled the development of this game with an iron fist. They would not take any outside opinions from anyone, even people who had built online games as a service before within the company. Yeah, the fact that they didn't leverage Bioware Austin's experience and expertise on running... It's like they were so A pompous. successful online game yeah. is very strange. It, 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 to me, the whole Bioware mythos just died. Because mm -hmm. if that's what's happening at the Edmonton studio, what about the others? I mean, that's supposed to be the mothership. Like you said, like the, the, the developer that you know when it puts out a game, you're going to love it and it's going to be rock solid. And now mm -hmm. that reputation's yeah. in the And toilet. of course, there was, you know, there's the usual frostbite. Oh, yeah. where they oh, talk you've been right about that all along. Mm -hmm. You've been talking about Frostbite for like two years on this show. Yep. And, and you know, and I generally the stuff I play on Frostbite, sports games, shooters, it works fine. And so I was like, ah, oh, you know, okay, maybe. But no, that was no, absolutely the root of all the evil. It's been mentioned by everyone who's had trouble at EA in recent years. That and, and the, uh, the fact that they mentioned like it's hard to get, because you know, a lot of the people that made Bioware what it was back in the day have moved on to other things, and they, you know, they talk a little bit in the article about how it's hard to attract new talent because nobody wants to live, nobody in wants to live up in Edmonton, so I'm like, so really, either way, Frostbite is the problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty but, great. Yeah. But it's like, you know. 20 below zero in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like... Uh, it's Ugh. so odd. I mean, it just kind of worked out that way because that's where the doctors were from. Yeah. It's just, and they just so happened to create this kick-ass development yeah. studio. I remember going, I mean, I didn't go, but it was uh, it was a, a shoot for, I think, the first Dragon Age. And Blair Herter went. to. He was the talent for it with uh, one, another producer. And it just happened to be the coldest day in Edmonton recorded I can't even history. imagine how cold that was. And it, because it was a cold snap all over the, the north, northern, north, basically the whole <laughs> North American continent was in a cold snap, and Edmonton was like... The worst. The wor it was yeah. ridiculous. And on the way back, they had, they had a stopover in Vegas to fly back to L.A., and they got stuck in Vegas because it was snowing in Vegas. They got snowed in in Las Vegas. That's how cold it was that week. <laughs> that's nuts. I can't and even And that's the imagine. week they just happened to end up what in What was it, like Edmonton. 60 below Must or something there? It was something like that. No, I mean, you can understand. Who, 
look, when most of the industry is in California, how hard is it to recruit people to go work up? You'd have to pay people double their salaries. Mm. I mean, I'm sure part of their, their sell is, oh, the cost of living in, Ed, in Edmonton oh, is yeah. like zero, which it is. And if that's what you're into, that kind of life up there, Yeah, I mean, great. if you're a skier, snowboarder, or whatever, yeah. it's like heaven, but... Well, I mean, it's, a little, it's also pretty isolated in general. Yeah, so. I mean, e- even for Canada, which... You're on the run. Yeah, I mean, even, to, like, I mean I, Canada's gigantic. There's yeah. a lot of cities in Canada where they're just kind of plucked down, and then there's just nothing for a long mm. distance around them, and that's the case with Edmonton. For the, I mean, it's... There's a reason why no one wants to live there. It's just not a very... It's not really inhabitable for human right, beings. Well, a, you go outside at the wrong time of year, and your eyeballs freeze. Yeah, just, I mean, you yeah. could die, literally, it's, pretty easily. Um, when you think of where most development studios are, that is a tough sell. Yeah, and like the the, the draw of the sell was it's Bioware, right? You know, come Even, here, work on a world class. Like I know, I know several people. You know, mostly ex, you know, Ubi, no, mostly Ubisoft people that used to work there or have worked there, and like a lot of what they say is like, yeah, you went there to get it on your resume. Like you, you, because you, having worked at Bioware was like, wow, like you worked at Bioware. You and had the Bioware magic. Yeah, you did have the Bioware <laughs> magic on your CV. And now yeah. it's like, oh, you worked on Andromeda, huh? Yeah. Or yeah, now Anthem like, even. Or Anthem, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing that, that's so weird to me about, yeah, the article doesn't really go into this uh, too much, but like the thing that's so weird to me about like the, 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 the Anthem not the Anthem thing, but like EA's obsession with the games as a service thing. I realize it's a lucrative thing if you can get a hit off with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so weird to me that like EA wants this so for everything it makes and all. It's a, when it's never done it successfully, you nope. know, it, it's not like Ubisoft kind of like adjusting all in the wake of Assassin's Creed 2, adjusting most of their games to sort of be that open world template. It's not like, you know, it's not like, uh, uh, Activision adjusting all its stuff to sort of follow the, the the Call of Duty multiplayer idea right down to their licensed games at the time. Um, EA doesn't have a template for this stuff. Yeah. Like EA, EA can't point to anything it's made to its other developers and be like, make it like that. No. And then like you get the thing in the in Shire's article about how nobody was allowed to mention Destiny. And that like, was really and like, What are you even looking at yeah. to, to like... Like, that's crazy. That is like, crazy. Not only do you not have a template in-house of what EA wants their games to be, but, like, internally at Bioware, they don't, don't even want to look at, like, the, the kind of the king of that horrible little corner of game. It's, like, at the very least, you have to look at the leader. Like, you, you know, it's like making a, it's making a MMO in 2008 and not playing World of Warcraft. It's also crazy to watch this E3 demo now, because this was a big part of the article, this demo in particular, because they had no game when they yeah. made the demo. And, and this is all fake. Yeah. And the, <laughs> like, the people back at BioWare were watching this during the press conference and like, oh, I guess that's what we're that's making. That's the game. Oh, wow. We, we didn't realize like, it until like the, now. There was some, one of, at least one of the people that Shire had interviewed in that was saying, like, oh, that's the first time we really understood what we were trying to do. Yeah. And I'm like, that should terrify every Like, that... That's why I'm saying it's insane that it ended up being as good as it is. Like, how in the world did That it... just shows you what money can do. I mean, EA yeah. was basically like, you know what? We're going to pull everyone from all three of those studios and put them on this yeah, game. That was just... And they could basically make a game this good in a year. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty nuts. Like, resources, man. It's everything. So where, where, what is Bioware now, Matt? Is it anything but just a logo? I mean, for now, not really. I mean, it's, you're, you're sort it's of, hard. It hurts my heart. You're to sort think of about waiting it. to see what Dragon Age Four ends up being, which it sounds like we're going to be waiting a while. Like, yeah, 
Like, they scrapped that if completely. If they scrapped that and restarted in 2017, and now they're in this sort of place where they're not sure if what they do is even good enough, and like, like, are we looking at four or five year development cycle yeah. on this thing, which puts us in like 2022? I mean, if you read that story, that's typical at EA. Four yeah. or five years, that's just how long it's taken them to get stuff done. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. it's going to be a PS5, Xbox 2 game. Apple, yeah. without a doubt. And it may come even like in year two of those platforms before it even shows up. Because I feel like they can't... They, like, they've had you know their Andromeda issue, and then Anthem was what it was, and they have to return to form with Dragon Age. Or, like, I don't know how you come back. I don't know if there's a form anymore for Bioware. I well, really I th- don't, well, I think man. there is a form in the sense you go back to what worked. You go back to Mass Effect. You go back to the original Dragon Age template. You go back to KOTOR. God damn, let them make KOTOR 3, for God's sake. Do you think that stuff will hold up now? I mean, better than this, obviously, but... I mean, you'd need to, like... Look, I know tons of people who are, like, Bioware fans, diehard Bioware fans. They love Dragon Age. They love Mass Effect. It's what they do. Like, they, you know... One one of my friends I met because I was wearing this N7 thing, and she reacted to it, and that's how I know her now. Yeah. Is from, like, her reaction to this at a, at a game event. Right. Like, but they all skipped Anthem. Because it doesn't do what a Bioware game does yeah. is supposed to do to them. If you just give give them a well written story with characters that are memorable, because here's the other thing about Dragon Age Inquisition, I can't remember anyone in that fucking game. <laughs> like I could, like, it's not very memorable. Like I, yeah. someone, like they were. I, I was talking to someone who was talking about their favorite characters in that game, and they kept mentioning characters. I'm like, I have no idea who you're talking about. I, I like you're gonna have to physically describe them. Unless they were in previous, like Varric, I remember because he was in Dragon Age Two, and I remember him because I liked him. But like they're talking about, they're talking like Sarah, and I'm like, I don't, I have no idea who Sarah is. I played that game for seventy hours. I have no idea who any (laughs) of these people are. Same thing with Mass Effect Andromeda. I finished Mass Effect Andromeda 100. percent I couldn't name you a crew member. Like there's no uh, PB. PB was the, the 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 Asari girl. Like that's it. That's all I know because but like Mass Effect, I can recite you whole freaking dialogue scenes, and it's like. The key is you got to make me like these characters. You got to make me interested in this world. You got to make me want to get sucked into this this thing you're presenting to me. And Bioware games haven't done that for like two games now. Yeah. And like the problem is like to make a Dragon Age four that can do that. I don't think you can do that under the games as a service implementation. Which is all EA wants to make. If you read that apparently, story. yeah. Um, so like you either give them the freedom to be themselves again. And let them hire the talent to do that, or I don't know what you're like. Like you said, I don't know what Bioware is then, and I don't even know why you still have them at that point. I mean, the, after reading that there's, story, there's who still, knows what's going to happen? There's still room in the mass grave out back. I promise. Yeah, like you know, just like wherever every other company EA, every other great company EA bought, and I mean, Bioware sure lasted like longer. It looks like it's happening again. Bioware's lasted longer than most, but because like, of that logo. Yeah, Ultimately. but also because they made quality shit for a long time. Yeah. Like, Mass Effect was great. I mean, honestly, Anthem, Anthem sold really Anthem well. Sold, <laughs> Anthem sold enough to, like, make a profit, for yeah. sure. And um, it's going to keep making a profit. I mean, it's already over that hump, and it's like now that all the games-as-a-service stuff starts rolling out, all this microtransactions. Just, think, I mean, I know EA's got its its message and its mission, and it's got to do what it's got to do to get its shareholders happy or whatever, but it's like... You look at the success of games like God of War and Spider-Man, and you're like, wouldn't it be okay if one of your developers made stuff like that once in a while? And shouldn't Bioware be that one be exactly. developer? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Who had the pedigree to do that? Like, yeah. Shouldn't that be what you let them do? What they and do maybe best? Let them why be- you bought them? Right. What did you- why you own Bioware? But that's the same thing EA does all the you know, 
It, this track How crazy is, is it that pandemic doesn't exist? I know. It's insane. How crazy is it that you... They, okay, the saboteur did not make money, but... Instead of keeping that, that that pandemic team, which was a bunch of a a bunch of great guys and girls, like yeah. that was a pandemic. We, we had a lot of contact with them because they were local, and like that was a great company. Here's Just, here's an anecdote. But like about also pandemic. like they make really good, interesting like open world stuff in a world in a time when open it world stuff sense. was really really yeah. blossoming in the in the wake of Assassin's Creed, and they make one thing that underperforms, and you take them out back and sh- back and shoot them in the head. That is a game, by the way, that you throw you them green, on top of Westwood and Orion. <laughs> I mean, right? They don't. They don't put out that game unless you say, yeah, we're down with that. Mm-hmm. So, ah, man, it's, it's, it, you almost could not intentionally do what EA has done. It's really frustrating to watch. It's like, despite all... And now we're not, we're not even getting into the Star Wars debacles. I know. It's so funny to think about, you know, EA was named, like, the least desirable company to work for for years in a row. People have complained about... EA is the whipping boy of the industry, and it still does the stuff that people hate them for. Mm-hmm. It doesn't learn. It's not like, hey, why are these people angry? Maybe we shouldn't do what they're angry over anymore. No, they just like double down. Like, Well, it's going to be real interesting to see uh, this weekend when Jedi Fallen Order is revealed. Yeah, don't forget that. This weekend, Star Wars celebration. the new Star Wars game is being shown because for the first time. you're dealing with Respawn, uh, you know, run by Vince Zampella, who is something of a rebel, yeah. fittingly enough. No, oh, he is, and, absolutely. Um, you know, he's the one who's willing to not take some. Sh- you know, he's the one when they when they did when Titanfall, uh, when Titanfall uh, Titan Two got hammered by being released between Battlefield and Call of Duty, uh, and they had that stage show or something. Which, yeah, and Vince was there, and some EA exec guy said, you know, on stage, like, you know, we we remain com- we remain committed to Titan the Titanfall brand or whatever. And Vince says. Whatever the fuck that means. Yeah. Like on stage, like yeah. right there. With the, like, it's just, you know, he doesn't give a And so Jedi Fall. When you have that kind of, he, he has don't give a fuck kind yeah. of money. Well, also <laughs> don't give a fuck kind of clout in terms yeah. of like. Well, now with Apex guys, Legends with Apex and for yeah. sure, I mean, Apex for sure, he's got that back. Yeah. I would say. And he's, how much must, must Vince and just Respawn in general love the fact that they got to stick it back to Battlefield. With their own battle royale game, and then ba- <laughs> Battlefield's battle royale <laughs> mode came, came out, and it's like, oh, here we go. Um, yeah. But you know, Jedi Fallen Order is using Unreal. It's not using Frostbite. Yeah. Um, and part of that might be because they probably started development on that before they were owned by EA, so they didn't have to like you know fall in line the way you would if you were owned by the company. But I'm well, sure interested. No, I think the better bet is they just don't. That's want also it. yeah. He, I'm sure Vince just didn't want to subject his people. And he's to the Frostbite. only one there who could say no. We're not using right. that engine. But I'm going to be real interested to see what a what this game looks like and b what you can do in it and see how smoothly it goes to launch in comparison to all these other constant disasters of trying to make Frostbite make games that simply aren't designed to be made because even Amy Hennig. Who's a veteran to the point that I believe what she says when she's you know she's sitting there at dice and says, you know, brings up frostbite as one of her biggest problems yeah. with that whole process of trying to make that Star Wars game and talking about how it didn't have a, a system in place to have a character crawl over something or cl- like pull themselves up a ledge or have a decent inventory system because they'd never needed that before yep. and like how they had to figure all that stuff out. Whereas like if all for nothing for what <laughs> for nothing yeah. It's like and it's, I'm interested to see if it's a game. It was a built service. to do a certain thing, and it does that thing well, which is run very quickly at a high frame rate for a first-person shooter. Yeah, and it works for that. Works genre. for that, but yeah. you, it doesn't work for everything. I mean, that article will shade how I look at EA forever. 
-hmm. it it's already changing how I am going to look at the debut of Vince's new game this weekend. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm already going to be like, is it a game as a service? If it's not, holy cow, he really put his foot down. Like, mm -hmm. it changes everything. I mean, part of it may, all if it's also not a game as a service, part of, I mean, part of it will be, it sounds like Vince, you know, knew what he needed to make and put his foot down or whatever. But part of it is also going to be like, they need to get something out. Yeah. We need do. to make a game that people are not going to throw a fit over because we did something stupid on it. Yeah. Or we crammed horrible microtransaction ideas into it. Or it, I, I also think, um, I think Battlefront looks gorgeous. I think yeah. Battlefield looks gorgeous. And I think everything else that's ever run on the Frostbite engine all looks the same. It does. It all looks like this weird, I mean, I would even argue that shaded, those two games look pretty similar. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, the, obviously do. the art's different because but the you're art's different, different, but IPs, like the photoreal but... aspect is there. But like you see, every other Frostbite game has this weird sort of like blandly. I mean, there's it's it's, it's kind almost... of like the Unreal Engine back in the Xbox yeah, 360 like there's era. A, there's a quality, there's a look to there's it. a quality yeah. to it. Yeah, and like only Dice's games seem to avoid that somehow, and everyone else. Well, because like, they made it. Because they made it right. right. And you know they're not giving the secret sauce, even though they should be. To everybody. So yeah, I, I mean, I find it. Fr I find the whole situation frustrating. Dual, Very frustrating. From dual perspectives, in the sense of being a Bioware fan from way back, who, who, you know, Bioware's best games are some of my favorite games of all time, and you're not letting them do that anymore, and that annoys me. And then on the flip side, it's all part and parcel of the same problem of, yeah, you because know, a lot. One interesting thing about Shire's article about Anthem was that it sounds like a lot more of the problems with Anthem were from Bioware than EA than we would have originally believed. Yeah. It sounds like Bioware, like, you know, hoisted themselves by their own petard uh, fairly often on this project. Um, and that EA, I mean, obviously EA's guidelines, quote unquote, don't help. But it sounds like the lack of leadership is sort of endemic to how the, the that company's functioning right now, whether EA is making bad decisions or not. It's just EA's bad decisions are just enhancing the problem. Uh, and then on the other hand, as a giant Star Wars fan, like, where are my goddamn games? Yeah. Like, thank God for Vince <laughs> Zampella about to deliver something. Yeah. Fun. You know, it's like, really? It's crazy. I never... This to is, the point that Lucasfilm is, is recreating Lucasfilm games now. This is worst than worst case scenario. When, yeah. I, when EA got the Star Wars license... Yeah, I would never have believed. Never. This is worse than I ever would have imagined. That the only, like, about. really unmitigated success is their mobile games. Yeah. Those make good money. You know, Galaxy of Heroes makes good money. Yeah. Um, I have buddies who play that game, like, religiously. I played it for a bit, but I don't... It doesn't... I don't... I, the, the treadmill mobile games don't do anything for me. Yeah. You know, it's just like... I even tried to... I try to play them. I try to like them, but I just don't. I don't like that... That game, I don't like the... The, the the generic fighting games, even the Transformers one, I really try to like that one. I, just <laughs> I don't. bet you did. Um, I found that like a lot of my friends from my home hometown back in central Pennsylvania that played games, they all now play mobile games. They don't own console. I think a couple of them actually have consoles, but man, they are all over mobile games. They love Clash of Clans, and they all have their clans, and like we'll be out like having drinks, and they'll start talking trash about their clans to each other. Like, they're as into mobile gaming now as they were into console gaming back when I lived there. Hmm. It's pretty crazy. It's interesting. I just, I have never really played a mobile game that I felt outside of, like, Monument Valley. I mean, there's a few, yeah. there's a handful, like five or six. But the majority, especially the ones that follow that, temp, you know, there's the fighting game template. There's yep. the, 
turn-based RPG template like Galaxy of Heroes. There's, even Ninja Turtles has one of those. I right? know. There's the yeah. Clash of Clans template, which is like, I have, a, I have a Transformers Earth Wars game that does the same thing. Yeah. Like, there's the three or four, base, there's the match three puzzle quest yeah. version. You know? <laughs> there's like four, like, kind of templates that each yeah. of these things follow. And I don't find any of them fun. I don't either. And even the ones that I find fun when they're a normal video game, like, I, I like Puzzle Quest. I like that match three do yeah. RPG stuff thing. But when you apply that sort of, like, you know, giant fill-the-bar treadmill, wait 10 minutes to fill your energy, like, once you or stick those things on it, I don't yeah. find it fun anymore. Yeah, my friends are all over them, man. It's shocking to me. Like I said, they're as into it as they were into regular games back in the day. Like, I mean, I guess if you just want something to like pull up, open, you know, dip into when you're waiting in line at Applebee's or something like that's what they. I mean, they dip into it all the time. Yeah. Like he, like you're having a conversation with them and they'll start checking like the leaderboards or whatever. Like, like I guess that's my problem is like I try to sit down and play these like video games and like the idea is like the way people who are really into them play them. They don't play them for long enough at you know bursts at a time to yeah. run out of energy. Yeah, you know, like I play no, until right. I can't play anymore because I'm out of energy and I don't want to pay money to refill it, so yeah. I just stop playing. No, you're right. They'll play it for that, that fifteen little, minutes yeah, here, bit. twenty minutes here, five minutes there. Mm -hmm. I think that's what they like about it. I think they like that well, they can. I think that's definitely the appeal. Yeah, it's just not why I play video not games. Not for me. Not for me either. So um, also, like you, when you can see the strings. It's you know, they can't see them, though, yeah. because they don't have the vision that we have to look at games that way. They're just like, it's a Star Wars RPG, and it's free, and all my friends mm -hmm. are playing it, and that's really all I care about. Like the, They spend money. They, pay, they spend real money on these I'm games. On, I mean, and, I'm honestly like jealous of them. I know. It's, <laughs> like, it sounds cool. It's, yeah. I, I wish I liked these They're games loving more. it. Like, it's funny. Like, they talk about Clash of Clans like we used to talk about, like, Halo back back when mm -hmm. like they're just they love it you know and and i don't be like, i wish them. i could get in like the I'm galaxy like, heroes thing i get collect all those characters and like do that's like, how i, I view can't. it too i don't hate on them for it i'm like i'm just glad you guys are still playing games you know mm -hmm. like i really thought that by now none of them would so what i worked on way back when it it worked but it didn't pay off the way i hoped it would <laughs> <laughs> but i'm just glad to see them still playing games and talking about mm -hmm. games and they'll ask me like well what's the big stuff on console and why should i play that instead of this and it's uh, it's interesting. I yeah. mean, it, not everyone who plays mobile games are people who just started playing games last year. No. There are people who were like us a long time ago who have kind of shifted mm -hmm. over to that. Um, and I think that's something... And the convenience of it is more important than... And I think that's why games as a service is like a big thing at EA. Because it, EA makes a lot of money off its mobile stuff. It's had a couple rough quarters mm -hmm. here. But it makes most of its money on mobile. So it's like, wait a minute, if we can generate this much revenue off of mobile, why can't we use that same, the same strategies behind that right. in our console stuff? And the answer, inevitably, is because you're charging me $60 yeah. for it, yeah. asshole. And it's, I mean, but like, some of the practices are just scummy. Sure. I mean, sure. I mean, like, we saw that with, with Battlefront 2. Like, they pushed it too far. Bob Iger, the head of Disney, had to give him a phone call and be yeah. like, what are you doing to our brand? Yeah, what's going on? Um, which, by the way, that was... Stunning. Like the fact that I, I mean, took the time if, to even if the it. head, no, also because like Lucasfilm is in charge of Star Wars. Everyone goes on about, oh, the Disney Star Wars, Disney era of Star Wars. Lucasfilm has complete creative control over Star Wars. And most of the people working at Lucasfilm in the, you know, the leadership capacity are the same people that were there before they were sold. When to it Disney. was LucasArts. It's all the same and, people. Yeah. Um, so, so it's not a, Disney did not hand down mandates of what Star Wars needs to be. Um, so I would have expected, knowing that about 
Lucasfilm that the head of Lucasfilm, like Kathleen Kennedy, might call EA and be like, hey, what the, the fact that Bob Iger, because Disney's interest in Star Wars is obviously as a money sure. money maker, but Disney's thing is Disney is the distributor of the of the Star Wars movies. They're the, the one thing they can decide is when they come out, like yeah. the, the release dates, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. So the fact that Iger, the head of Disney, is the one who called EA, that means that that they thought not just Lucasfilm was like, why are you messing with our creative stuff and our and our license and our, our IP? That meant Disney as a company that makes billion literal billions off of Star Wars as a as a as a thing they own in that in that capacity of Lucasfilm was like, this is this is threatening this thing this and brand. we need to step yeah. in. The, like that is astounding. If I were yeah. EA, it's not I would that be astounding more... though, because EA has dropped the ball. Right, but it's a, it's astounding <laughs> in the sense that EA could drop the ball so hard that the head of Disney, not just the head of Lucasfilm, right. yeah. the head of Disney has to step in and be like, yo. Like yeah. we're starting to notice now. Like the fact that people at EA didn't lose some jobs over that in a, in a high level position yeah. sense maybe they did. is a little. I mean, maybe it did. We, you know, we don't follow every single yeah. executive shakeup over at EA. But like, at the very least, if I was a high ranking person at EA, I would be terrified of that forever. I mean, after. doesn't I mean, it that, sound that doesn't happen? Yeah, that shit doesn't happen. I mean, doesn't it at sound that high like? Level. There needs to be a cleaning out of EA in general. I mean, maybe. I mean, it, listen. I mean, listen. It reading that story about Bioware. Like, I mean, my I have question, no faith in that company. Right. As an organization. I mean, my question becomes like, what do the shareholders think? Because that's the only yeah. place change comes from. Yeah. Right. Like, if the shareholders, if the if the people who are on the board, like, read these articles and look at this stuff and be like, is this really how it is? Like, if this is how it is, like, even if you're making money, you're like, we could probably be making more money if we just made stuff that was good because yeah funny because, how that works because <laughs> hey you know what making you know it, you can make money off, off of terrible things that you've just sort of marketed and convinced people that it's the new hotness i mean that's michael bay did that with five transformers I mean, they, they did movies. that with anthem right they did that with anthem yeah. that's true um but you know what happens when you make something that's really good for a long time that people love and and can't get enough of and want to want to like have as part of their entertainment over and over and over again you get Avengers Endgame. Yeah. You also get... And Endgame's about to make $800 million in an opening weekend and has a shot at dethroning Avatar. And the reason isn't because that, that Marvel or Disney hyped it up. The reason is because they've made movies people like for 11 years. What you also get... So make get, games people like... Right. And you will make money off of it. Because what you get from that in games is you get a developer like Bioware that can make... That they can series, make those games. They yeah. can make great games, but also has the the equity built up with fans where it can make a couple crappy games right. and people don't bail like mm -hmm. and now you're kind of at that point yeah like, you no know, you're at the bail point yeah, now Yeah, you are yeah for sure and it's the other frustrating thing about that article was like they, where they bring it up you know some of the bioware people you know anonymously where they're like yeah we pitched kotor 3 yeah yeah we've tried a couple and like yeah, it's like no yo you you oh <laughs> I will hurt you. Like if you have prevented me, if you if you killed Code, I mean better that than like giving Code or three to like the guys who made Andromeda. But like, um, like let Bioware do what Bioware does. It's like it's. I don't know, think we'll ever see another Mass Effect game. I'm fine with that. You yeah, know, like, I don't leave think we'll ever see another one. Yeah. Leave it alone. Like clearly, I mean the story's over. The story was told. Yeah, I would like to see a remaster. Yeah, I'd like to see a trilogy trilogy remaster. Particularly the first one. I would like to see the first one's gameplay brought more in line with what yeah. two and three were. Yep. I know there's a contingent that thinks Mass Effect One's gameplay is the best, but they're wrong. 
um, I've played that game five times, and like, <laughs> no, it's not really very good. It's very rudimentary Unreal 3 early days stuff, or maybe it was 2.5, I don't remember what, what version of Unreal it used, um, but 2 was a quantum leap in how that game functioned in terms of the gameplay, um, and I would love to see Mass Effect 1 brought into that, into that sort of realm in a, in a full remake, remastered sense. Um, I feel like we're never going to get that Probably because <laughs> uh, yeah, EA has no interest in that. Even Might though, farm like, it out to somebody, someone even else. Even Activision recognizes the value of that, the remaster of something that people desperately want on, on the back of what Crash Bandicoot sold. Yeah. Like, like the, the whole thing that EA, like the, the problem with EA seems to be that they are in this, this mentality, which is very true in this sort of era of, you know, infinite growth tech sector stuff. Um, where everything has to be the maximum possible. It's like it's okay to just put out like a thing that does well. No, not with the stock, not stockholders. That's what drives everything. It ruins everything. Well, because that's the, it really does. Well, the stock the thing, market ruins if, everything. If they were smart enough to, or successful enough to kind of put out some games as a service games that did work on a level of destiny, you know, were as successful as Destiny, they could then let Bioware make stuff like that as a supplement. And, but now you're sort of, it feels like EA is constantly flailing around looking for the next pillar. Yeah. You know, like they don't, what do they do? What do they put out now? Are That's they, what I was just going to finish this discussion on. Like what is, what happens with Bioware? I mean, I mean they're going to finish it, out their run with, with. I mean, no wonder there's no EA press conferences here. Yeah. I mean, they're going to finish their run with Anthem and then we probably won't hear from them again for like three or four years until years. they're ready to show Dragon Age. Yeah. If they even let them finish Dragon Age. So. The whole thing just sucks all the way around. Once again, great, great reporting by Jason Schreier. Yeah. Another great story by him. Um, and the, the one today is really good on Dragon Age 4 specifically. Yeah. And that I, should I, be up on the site. Um, but it's, it's a shame. It, it hurts to see Bioware mm -hmm. in the shape that it's in. But it's also sort of, it's just par for the course. It's like almost, like there's, there's a whole litany of my favorite developers of all time who have been consumed and then murdered by EA. Yeah. Go, you know, it happened to Bullfrog, it happened to Westwood, it happened to Maxis. Oh, you can go on. It happened on. to Pandemic. Yeah. It happened to, uh, to, to um, Orion. Was it Orion? Yeah, Orion Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. The, the uh, uh, Ultima and, and uh, Wing Commander. Yep. And they've got, you know, they've got uh, tons of my favorite uh, IPs hostage in their vault. We're never going to see there. it again. We're never going to see another Starflight. We're never going to see another... Wing Commander, we're never going to see another anything. You know, it's, it's just on and on and on and on. And, like, it's a shame. And it sucks. And uh, it makes me sad and confused and angry. And I, I concur. Which, and it, which makes it kind of sound like I work at Bioware. <laughs> you're right. Judging by that article. Yeah, you're right. All right, we're going to move on. Next, we're going to talk about... Save us, Vince. Yeah, I save mean... Save us, Jedi Fallen I don't order. think he can save Bioware, though. No, but he can at least give me a Star Wars game that, it doesn't, that, make, you that doesn't make me annoyed when I walk <laughs> away from it. Yeah, again, that's debuted this weekend. We'll have yeah. it up on Sifted, so make sure you check back. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about the Nintendo tax. I don't know if we've ever really talked about it on Game Face. Yeah, it's come up in Maybe passing. Maybe in passing. It has, I don't think it's been an actual subject. Yeah, this week I think it's kind of been brought to the forefront because it was revealed that Bethesda's game, uh, upcoming game, Wolfen, Wolfenstein Blood... Young Blood. Young Blood is not going to be sold on a cartridge. Right. So if you can, you can go to retail and you can buy it, but... It's an empty box with a It's a case in it. with a code inside it. Mm-hmm. And Bethesda has said this is because it costs so much 
to use a cart for any of our games on the Switch. Especially like the higher capacity the cart is, the more the cart costs. And I think which this, has always been that way. I think this game is something like 20, 26 gigabytes on Switch or something like that. Twenty is somewhere in there, which is a is pretty big for for a Switch game. And Youngblood isn't the only game that's doing this. Uh, Resident Evil Origins Collection. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be only a code. Yeah, and there's, there was also, one other one. They've done a few where, like, like uh, the Spyro collection was like the the first game was on the cartridge, but the other two you had you to download. download. Yeah. Um, the size of the cartridge affects the cost of the cart for the publisher significantly. Um, so that's why you see that. So would you rather pay the ten dollars, the extra ten dollars, and get a? I mean, you're kind of all digital at this point, Mostly, so maybe yeah. I should ask myself this question: If I'm willing to pay an extra ten bucks to get a physical copy of something, to get what though? There is no physical copy. You just get it. No, I'm a saying, box. would I be willing to pay an extra ten bucks for a card? Oh, a card, like, like so, it would be like it would be uh, seventy dollars, right? Yeah. And would I? For some games, I think I would. Like, look, if if. But for this, when you could pay sixty dollars and get it on a disc on any other platform, I know. And it would look better and run better. I know. Like that's the why this is happening. I mean, if if it was a Switch exclusive, it might not be that cut and dried. But like, you can't charge an extra ten bucks for an inferior version of something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to call it that, but that is what it is. The other problem too is that Nintendo doesn't really suffer from these problems because. It's pretty crazy how small the file sizes are for Nintendo it games. It really is. They, they, I mean, they're like a couple gigs. Mm-hmm. But that's a lot of it is because their games aren't really cinematic. So right. they're, they're not holding a lot of also, low know, compression FMV Also, footage. they know from the outset that this, this thing's going to have to fit on one of these cards. Yeah, you know? and so they build the game from the outset to Whereas, fit. Whereas, like, that's not really a priority in most multi-platform development anymore. The idea that you have Any. to fit... It's yeah, not a... It's pl- just, yeah. At all. It's definitely not a priority at all. I mean, look all. at Red Dead Redemption. Like, they, yeah. don't, they don't care how much space they take up I mean, on that hard drive. It was 100 gigs, like, two weeks after it launched. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just not even a concern. No, because hard drive space is cheap. Yeah, but the way Nintendo does things. So how do you think this is going to affect Nintendo in the long run? Um, I mean, I don't think it's going to affect that much in general. I mean, the, 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 the devotees are going to devotee. You know, it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's going to affect anything, really. What about... It would affect a lot more if they started charging 10 bucks more for things. Yeah. Which I know they do on some stuff, but yeah, not. I mean some of the games already. That but bumping up to seventy bucks for like mainstream releases, like that's that's a non-starter. So I think this is probably the preferable solution. People are going to gripe about it, but if you want it on the Switch, that's what you got to do. Do you think this is a uh, a first step towards something? Something what? Like meaning that physical games may be just something that's going to be a part of the past. Well, no. I mean, eventually they probably will be, but like. The game's still coming out on Blu-ray, you know. Like, yeah. The problem is not that the physical copy is a problem. The problem is that Nintendo's choice of medium is an extra expense that does not fit into their budget. Yeah. Like that's the problem. You know, it has nothing to do with like, oh, we don't want to put stuff on physical media anymore. It's just like, no, we. Right, but because of that, do you think that that could create momentum towards that direction? No. The thing that's going to create momentum in that direction is the. Uh, disappearance of the brick and mortar market. Like yeah. this isn't related to that. This is related to the cost of doing business with Nintendo. Yeah. Um, th- if you're a Switch only owner, how do you take this information? Well, I mean, if I was a Switch only owner and I wanted Wolfenstein, I'd just buy it digitally. Because what's the difference? I-, I would argue that 
Nintendo Unless you could get a good deal. are bigger collectors than fans of other platforms. Would you yeah. agree with that? I mean, yeah, I think that's true for the most part. But I think that is largely confined to Nintendo's own output. Um, there are people who want like every game released on each Nintendo platform, and so in that case, I guess you do want the empty box of Wolfenstein Youngblood on your yeah. on your shelf, even if there's no card in it. Yeah. But um, I mean, it's it's weird, but it's like it's not like it's unprecedented. Like you know. A bunch of collector's editions don't come with games anymore. We don't come with physical copies of the games anymore. I can't remember a trip, triple I game that that doesn't. Halo. Halo Five, one of the, the super duper collector's edition of the oh, last I remember Halo that. game. The people freaked out about that. They didn't like it. No. Yeah. But... <laughs> which they should have freaked out. They're paying more money and they're not getting the disc mm-hmm. of the game. Which that's just still boggles Same my mind. Same with uh, what was it? Uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. You could get like the collector's oh, edition right. that had the remote controlled like dune buggy or whatever yeah, that was, yeah. but it didn't, didn't have, have the game. game. <laughs> it's so weird. And their excuse for that is like, well, people buy the game in so many different ways. Some people prefer a disc, some people prefer digital. We don't want to make that decision for them, so it's just an extra. So basically, it's merchandise. It's not the game. It's, it's not really not the game. the game. Yeah. Like if you don't yeah. include the game, it's just a toy that's happened to be licensed from the game. You know? Yeah, absolutely. At that point, you're the you're the cardboard model of the Starlink starship that you could buy at the bottom of the shelf there. Do you think something like this could convince Switch owners to buy another platform? No, I don't think Wolfenstein is... I mean, you do that with Zelda, maybe, but then it's, you're stuck on Nintendo anyway. It's like, yeah. Um, if you don't have another game system at this point in the generation and you're only on the Switch, you're probably not prioritizing other yeah. other companies' games to the point that you would want to do that. Like, you're just going to deal with it. I mean... Who's who's that dedicated to physical media that they would buy another they would buy a four hundred dollar console rather than just skip Wolfenstein Youngblood? Yeah, you know, like it's just it's silly, but it's sort of the situation you're in when you're still using you know cartridges, cartridges. in twenty nineteen. But like it's a, if it's going to be a handheld system, what option do you have? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, the we, disc didn't hasn't really worked. No, we already lived through the PSP. It was not uh, yeah. it was not a wonderful experience. No, it definitely wasn't. So. so um, so you don't think... So I guess what we're saying is the Nintendo tax doesn't matter. doesn't seem to. Yeah. I mean, it just seems kind of irrelevant. If it did, I don't think the Switch would be as successful as it is. Isn't it funny, though, how much, a, how much of a big deal has been made about it? Why do you think that is? Well, I don't know how big a deal has been made out of it. I mean, I, it's I, a I, thing. I, I mean, there, it's been coined the Nintendo tax. Right. But it's like... It seems to kind of be all like a tongue-in-cheek sort of like, well, that's how it is, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like... It, has, it doesn't set... Twitter on fire like the freaking easy mode argument this, right. this week. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like that's a thing that has a lot more um, bile behind it than like the fact that Nintendo wants to char- wants to charge ten extra bucks on things or doesn't want to give a, give you a cartridge in the box. Like you think that would be a bigger issue in terms of consumer fairness than like. I don't think in so. easy mode in Sekiro. But that's but... because you're dealing when you start talking about the easy mode stuff, you're starting to talk about people's egos and their identities, and that's when people get psycho. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Nintendo, so I, Nintendo's an identity for a lot it of is, people. It is, absolutely. Which, and is I probably, think, which is probably why they don't mind dealing with whatever shortcomings they have to deal with to still maintain that identity. Yeah. So, like, you know, if that if you're a Nintendo fan and this is what you got to put up with to have a successful Nintendo system, cool. You yeah. Know? Like, maybe if the Switch wasn't successful, if the Switch was another Wii U, there would be more outcry from the fandom over it because they could, like, point to that as one of the reasons that it's not being successful. But it is successful. It's doing extremely well. So, like... You know, if you want that thing on Switch, 
there you go. If you don't like that, buy it on any, literally any other platform. <laughs> here's a here's actually maybe the best question related to this topic is, is it a smart move for Bethesda? I don't think Bethesda is a choice. Uh, well, I mean, it could. I mean, that's my question though. Not creating a physical version of the game will it turn more people away than charging us an extra ten bucks for a physical version would. You're always going to be able to buy the digital version on the eShop. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be there. And if you can buy that still for $59.99 or whatever, and then you offer the retail version for an extra 10 bucks, which is better for Bethesda financially? I think it's going to be offering the empty box for the same price as the yeah. other versions. Because otherwise, you're like, why is the Switch version 70 and the other and the PS4 and Xbox versions are 60 And then on top of that... Like, the whole point of putting out the physical box with the code in it is just to be on store shelves. Right. It's just to, to be, be there. In retail. Yeah. So when people see this thing, you can see it on the shelf. It's Black Friday. We need something for Bobby, for our 12-year-old Bobby. And we're going <laughs> to buy him the M-rated mur Nazi murder simulator. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, maybe, maybe Bethesda uh, just isn't expecting... Much sales, a tremendous, it. you know, yeah. tremendous slice of the pie of Wolfenstein Youngblood would be from the Switch. They have put and it out. It would know. It would know. It would know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and if they really wanted to cut a deal with Nintendo on this, I bet they could because they do have a good relationship with them. I guarantee you, there was some sort of dealing between them for to put out the other games they put out on the Switch, especially Skyrim, um, especially because they had Nintendo tie-in material in that game. Um, if they wanted to figure that out, Nintendo could probably could cut them a deal, but clearly. Somewhere in there, it's not worth the effort. Yeah. Um, it'd probably be different if Wolfenstein was a Switch exclusive. Oh, um, yeah, obviously. Be a big but game. it isn't, so just... just that's the This is the easy path, so just do that. Easy mode, once it's again. It's so weird buying a box that just has a piece of paper inside I mean, it. yeah, I think that's weird. I mean, why would I do that just to, Instead like... Instead of just going on the eShop and buying yeah. it. I guess you get that box to put I mean, on your. Well, yeah, shelf. I mean, you're, it's two things. I mean, collectors prefer to have the box. If yeah. the box, I mean, the box exists, so it's part of the collection now. And then, um, you know, I think it really is. You're still not quite at the point where you can disregard brick and mortar stuff in big box stores, and you have to have that game, that game box on the shelf. Because the other thing is, of course, there's going to be that game box on the shelf for the other two systems. Right. And if someone's only a switch. FOMO. Yeah, if someone's only a switch owner. Uh, and you're, I mean, you're really looking at holiday sales for this thing, is, yep. is what that is. You need to have that there for the impulse buy and for the gift buy. Um, and you want to cover all three systems. You don't want to have that kind of sort of, you know, you don't want mom to go in and be like, why is the Switch one $10 more? Why don't you just get it for this thing? Yeah. So instead, you just do it this way, and it's, it's the closest thing to a decent solution you have, I guess. Um, if you have another one of the systems, you have an, a physical media solution right there. And it's gonna run and look better anyway. So, like, I, I, I think it's such a weird edge case with this particular game. What's weird is Nintendo going back to cartridges after using optical discs for like that's two not generations. Weird. That's not weird at all, considering what the Switch is. Like, what else are they gonna do? Use fucking USB, USP, or what was what was the PSP thing? UMDs. U UMDs. What yeah. are you gonna do that? That was that's lame. Like, you know. It's it's the nature of the beast, but like the fact that it that has that it's not a pure handheld and it goes, you know, console to handheld. You're sort of you know you you end up comparing it to the console, especially since it's the sole pillar right now, and you know the 3ds has basically been phased down. Um, phased out. 
Yeah, like you, I mean, you're going to get that comparison, but like, what choice do you have for this thing that's being dragged around and played and bounced around in cars and on the train? Like, there's no, there's no alternative to that. Yeah, I mean, the real issue I had with uh, the UMDs was just the battery life in the PSP. I mean, that doesn't help. I mean, the battery life, to be fair, the battery life on the Switch is bad enough as it is. Yeah. I mean, it's only, it's already like three hours. Yeah. You you put a, it would last like 45 minutes. Yeah, you put a freaking lens (laughs) motor in there and how long is that, you know? Yeah. Um, But I think for durability and portability, functionality like i think using cards is fine but the problem is like you're, you're you've sort of forced yourself into this box where you you have this audience that, that you have that wants these multi-platform game games that wants to be able to feel like they've got a console and not just a handheld and you've got this relationship with bethesda uh, which you know one of the few multi-platform game makers make it putting current gen stuff on the on switch platform yeah um you would think if you were a nintendo you might just cut them a break you'd think I, mean, I don't that's know what really the politics what, that's of that really are. That's really probably what should have happened. Nintendo probably should have been like, "You've been a good partner. You're, you put out Doom. You're putting out Wolfenstein. You're yeah, going to put still out here. the next Doom. <laughs> you're still making games for us." Yeah, because Ubisoft used to be that. And where's the Division but Two? Nintendo on the will never do but that. But it's just not in Nintendo's nope, DNA. It's just too cutthroat. So, yeah, I guess so. At the end of the discussion, what we've, what we've come to the conclusion of is the Nintendo tax doesn't matter. I don't see how it would. I mean, if it did, I don't think the Switch would be where it is right now. And do we think Nintendo will have carts on its next platform? Probably. Yeah. I mean, keep on, keep on keeping on. I mean, if this is what the, the niche they've carved out for themselves, why rock the boat? Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, they could surprise me, but I feel like this is what they're going to do. Ultimately, as you said, they're a huge success. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're really and successful, don't forget, it's hard even to... Even if they do go with this, with cartridges again, some upgraded version of whatever the carts they're using for this thing are... I mean, they're SD cards. That's yeah, really all they but are. even if you go to the next, you know, go to the next generation, they put out the next iteration of the Switch, and you've got all of this generation to port That's true. to that new system. That's true. And sell to, cause you want to talk about the Nintendo tax, and Nintendo tax is having to buy all your last gen games again, again. on the Switch so you can play them on the frickin' train. Or the I don't know what, console tax. If uh, you, if, judging, by the, judging by the discussion over where and when you use the Switch in terms of rebuying a game or double or triple dipping on things, a lot more people are taking trains than the actual statistics show train riding in the U.S. It, like yeah, it, yeah, I, I see. What like you're Amtrak saying. would be a lot more successful if as many yeah. people were actually playing Switches on trains as they claim to be. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Buses, okay, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I come from San Francisco, and I would not bring high, uh, high-tech hardware on on a muni bus. No, definitely not. Someone <laughs> would puke all over it or something, <laughs> or just yeah. try to shoot it up with heroin. Yeah, just, <laughs> like jab a needle into the screen. <laughs> like you just don't know what you're gonna run into on, on muni. Definitely not. All right, let's move on. We're gonna talk next about Borderlands Three. We talked about it last week. It had basically just been announced. The only information we had was what was in the trailer for the game. Uh, over the course of the past seven days, a lot more information has come out. We want to share that with you guys and discuss it. So, are you more excited for Borderlands 3 a week after its announcement, or were you more excited when you just saw the trailer? Uh, I wouldn't describe my feelings towards Borderlands 3 as excitement. Just sort of, yeah. <laughs> it's Borderlands. I've played it three times, for God's sake. And here, here this thing comes, and I'm sure it'll be fine, and I will play it in September. Cool. I do like the look of the new Vault Hunters. Um, 
the uh, who's the I a can't, billion guns this time. Bill, yeah, I hope I get one of the fifty thousand that are actually useful. There was what eight million in yeah, the yeah. last one. Yeah, I that think. sounds right. Yeah, I can't remember the names of the new vault hunters, but the one girl who's like with the, like the whole soldier. Like I played Axton and what's his face, the other soldier guy in the other two. Um, they're my favorites, so I'm probably gonna play another soldier character. And there's like, <laughs> look, the fa- I don't know what the what their ab- special abilities are gonna be, but the throwing that turret down was like the lifesaver so often that I just, I it's hard for me to give up the turret. I, I um, love turrets. I love being able to use turrets in any game with combat. It's my favorite thing to use. Uh, so let's start running down some there, of this the, stuff. on the on the far left, actually. That's my, the she's girl my, at she's the my end. favorite. Yeah, I okay. can't remember her name. I think it begins with an A, like a Mara or something like that. Uh, let's start talking about some of the stuff that's come out over the last week. Uh, Split-screen co-op, which is something that you don't get in any games ever anymore, it seems, unless they're indie games. It's very hard to find a AAA game with <laughs> split-screen in it anymore. I like that that's become so ubiquitous that Sterling doesn't even do it anymore at the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, triple A. He's, he's like, I'm not going to go. Although he's had bronchitis for a couple weeks, so that might be part of it. <laughs> we'll, we'll pick up the mantle for him. Uh... Every so split screen co op, and they, they put out a trailer yesterday and then pulled it. We had it. We have it on Sifted if you want to see it. Um, I guess they mistakenly put it out before they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone gets loot in co op. You don't have to compete for the loot. That's good. That is the big. I think the biggest change of all. That to me was one of the most annoying parts mm-hmm. of playing Borderlands. It's like it, it invalidated my play. It made me feel like I was wasting my time. Hmm. I mean, obviously, you get something out of helping somebody else, but when you have nothing to show for your time but a pat on the back and a virtual one mm-hmm. at that, I don't know. It made it. I hard. mean, a lot of loot games have been doing that for a while now, so it makes sense that you'd bring that into Borderlands. Um, I'm just glad they were aware enough to know that that's what you got to do now. Um, if you were worried that it may turn into a game as a service. You should remain worried because yes. it absolutely is turning into a game as yeah. a service. Yeah, I mean, I think with the whatever that whole key thing was with Borderlands Two, like you could clearly see that warming up. Yeah, uh, the fact that it's so based around loot and getting random, you know, a billion guns or whatever, like you're you're begging for loot crates. I mean, it was kind of the original game as a service if you really think about it. I mean, in the sense that you had to follow Randy on Twitter and get those codes and put them in, and do you want to use it? Uh, yeah. Although there was a way to cheat that. There was, yeah. Uh, there's, they've already announced four story DLC packs. Mm-hmm. And that just gets them through the first year, basically. I mean, they've always been pretty big on that in this series. Like, you know, major stories, at least for Borderlands 2, had a lot of big story DLC. And they were mostly good. Like, the, like, the one thing about the DLC packs on this that I think they have in their, in their favor... In terms of kind of like you like player player expectations and player opinion is like they've pretty much come through on their DLC story stuff in the past on this series. Yeah. Like they were the, some this, you know like some of that stuff was some of the best stuff in uh, those those games. So I'm you know and and they they do let kind of the writers and the de- de- designers on those DLC packs go a little crazy even in a game as crazy as Borderlands yeah. like some of the stuff in like in Borderlands That's the best 2 part was about nuts. DLC to me and like yeah a lot it's of great. times they just, just go, let the go rules go out the window they're yeah. like we wouldn't do this in the base campaign but here why not and here why not yeah why not have one of them just be a giant D and D story with Tiny Tina and let Ashley Birch go crazy with the character and yeah. do that like great I mean I know there's people that hate that character but it's like 
the fact that they were willing to just sort of commit to that, I think, is great. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have any, like, real trepidation about that. I mean, my concern is more like, what is the moment-to-moment, day-to-day, games-as-a-service hooks going to look like yeah. in this game? And will it ruin my ability to play the game like a normal frickin' video game? That's always the concern with that sort of thing, you know? Um, I would argue that Anthem did not have that. Anthem did not ruin that. Anthem ruined itself through very, Other ways. very different means. <laughs> it tried real hard. Uh, so the four story DLC packs come as a part of the season pass, mm. or you can buy them a la carte. You can buy each yeah. DLC pack a la carte. Standard, standard old school expansion style. You can also buy the season pass separately. So if you buy the base version of the game and you decide you want the season pass, you can tack that on. Mm. Although I feel like this game of all games, you know whether you want more. Of it. You do. <laughs> it's like it's before you even play it. You yeah, know. you're already there. Um. It's coming in four different versions. Yeah. There's the regular version. There's an $80 version. There's like a $150 version. Then there's like a $250 version. Which is like the full, like, comes with an actual treasure chest right. thing. Yeah. Like, it comes with an actual loot yeah. box. I have Borderlands. <laughs> I, have a, I have the Borderlands 2 version of that. I never opened it. You never opened it? No. It was, it was, it was it gets sent to us and nobody wanted it. You know, there was a point at which uh, people just stopped wanting the big... Like the weird, Collector's the edition. big swag stuff. Yeah. Like, like no one wanted the giant life-size chain sword from Space Marine. Nobody yeah. wanted. And I was, and so you, you look for the sucker who would take it, you know, or, or like the, you know, the Black Ops, like you know, the drone thing and all car. that. <laughs> yeah, like no one. I'm just like, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> so, cool. But then you take it. And it just sits there and you do yeah, nothing. Yeah, then you with regret it. it. <laughs> like yeah. my closets are full of stuff where I was like. Oh, nobody else wants yeah, this? Well, I'll take it. Nine times out of ten, nobody else wants you know, No, it doesn't become valuable or anything. No, it's it like, never you know, does. It, it's just they make, junk. They're mass-produced crap. Yeah, know? it's just junk that no nobody ultimately ever even wants. You get it. You're like, oh, this is cool. And then that's and it. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so, like, yeah, four tier like release. A, you're like a ten-year-old opening a pack of socks on Christmas morning. It's just <laughs> like, yep, yeah, cool. <laughs> you know, you, yeah, no matter how rich or poor you are, you will be able to find a way to spend extra money on Borderlands 3 oh, with yeah. this four-tiered packaging. Uh, and then the final detail that came out this week, and the one that has drawn the most ire and attention, Borderlands 3 is an Epic Game Store exclusive. Dun, dun, dun! dun. Yeah. I saw there are some people flipping out about this on Sifted in the last couple days. There was a... And, and, Oddly enough, the story that spurred the conversation was a story about all the Borderlands fans going to Steam and review bombing right. all the old Borderlands games. And then to Valve's credit, I will say I am impressed Valve fixed it and removed all that stuff. Because, I mean, basically what those yeah, people are... Whoever that guy is at Valve came in that week, I guess. Yeah, apparently. But, I mean, if you think about Sometimes it... Sometimes that dude is fishing for... For months yeah it's pretty admirable admirable though that valve did that because these people are essentially like saying we like you valve and we want to show right. these guys that they shouldn't take this game off your service and we're going to review bomb it and valve knowing already that you know these people are actually trying to get its back still said no the right thing to do is to get rid of all these fake reviews and and so i admire valve for doing that but at the same time People review bombing stuff. It's turned into this like knee-jerk reaction thing. It's like, oh, someone did something I don't like. Oh, let's go review bomb it. Like, it's just, it's just a part and parcel of internet outrage culture that seems to have taken everything over in the last couple of years online. Uh, but 
how are you feeling about it now? As the games keep stacking up, how are you feeling about Epic, Epic Game Store? You still okay with it? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I don't either. Like, I, I mean, I wish there look, was. Look, I don't have that, an Epic account. I don't, I don't, I don't either. Actually. I don't. I haven't bought anything on Epic Game Store. I don't. I, you know, but but when the time comes when something I want is exclusive to it, then I will make the account I have a problem. and I will have another shortcut on my desktop and that will be the end of it. I yeah. Don't know what... I do wish that there was just a way to buy PC games digitally where you just get the file and then you, and a key and you can just install it wherever you want, whenever yeah. you want. Like maybe it could come, I don't know, like on like a disc. <laughs> yeah. And like have a box. In a box. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't but know. isn't it crazy though that you can't like if you buy a PC game, is there any way to buy PC games anymore where you just get the code and a key and you just own it? Not typically, no. I mean that's crazy to think. I mean about. you can get like like Humble Bundle. I mean like stuff you know, like Humble gives you a key to Steam, but sometimes you can get them where it's just like you just download it or like you know Gog does that. You download the thing entirely on its own. Yeah, Gog is kind of the only. Gog has no uh, DRM, so, right. so basically you just get the file. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's how it is. It's crazy. I think it is. I don't think it is. It's, no? You know, I mean, it's just You never feel become. like you own anything, because if these services ever go away, or they have some kind of a technical issue, you don't have access to your game, like... I have access to my games. Anything that's installed. Right. And if I'm sure... Steam's not going to go away overnight. It's, I don't you know? think it's ever going to go away. I don't think it will me. either. But, like, if, it, if, if something was going to happen to Steam, we would know in advance enough that it's like, okay, install all your shit. Like, download now. everything and install everything and done. Or, like, you'd find a way... They'd find a way to, like, okay, we're shutting the store down, but you'll still be able to, you know, go on and download. So, I mean, that stuff lasts a long time. Um, it's not that expensive to keep that running for long enough for years. For literally, oh, literally years. Never going away. Literally years for yeah. people to download other stuff. Um, so, on the one hand, I understand kind of the... Ups, the you know, but it's, that's not an argument I see against Epic Store. It's yeah, like right the idea that the Epic Store would one day go away and all your stuff would vanish. Uh, the problem seems to be that either a people don't understand what competition means. Guess what? Spending money to like make your product more attractive by getting exclusive things or whatever—that's the definition of cap- competition. Yes, ha- that's it, hashtag capitalism. Yeah, welcome, welcome to the fucking game, yeah. folks. <laughs> How do you think Sony got the PlayStation off the ground? Right. How do you think Microsoft yeah. got the Xbox? Money, off? They paid where, for where exclusives. Where do you think the phrase "money hat" comes from? Right. That's what it is. People don't use that anymore. No, that went away. I haven't haven't heard money hat in a long time. (laughs) I just pulled it out of the depths of my mind. (laughs) Yeah, remember money hats? That was like a big thing for a long time. I I never thought that that would not be the lasting thing from Penny Arcade and Bullshot would be. Yeah. Um, But... you like my hat? It's made of money. <laughs> money hat. Um, that was made in reference to, I think it was Lorne Lanning uh, putting the, uh, the the Abe's Odyssey or, or uh, the the Oddworld game as a launch exclusive for X- the original Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. And money hats died during before the Xbox 360 era, I believe. Now that I think about it. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't like a huge thing. It only it lasted through like the GameCube, PS2. Well, because it's mostly useful if you're trying to launch a new system into a new or a new yeah. platform into a new into an established space, which is exactly how Sony did it with the PlayStation One. Why do you Point think Final Fantasy VII was on there? It's been going on for forever. Right. It's just the way business works. You're trying to incentivize people to use your service. It's yeah, simple and economics. You, and like at least with the Epic Epic Store, most of it's timed. 
Right. It will be on Steam. It sucks you got to wait a year if you really are that dead set against the Epic Store, but you will be able to get it on Steam eventually and give Steam their 30% cut instead of right. Epic their 12% and, cut. And, and you should also say, and take away 12% from the people who made the game. Right. I think that, to me, is the big sticking point, and I think that's what people should narrow in on. It's not so much about the publisher. It's the money that gets passed on to the developer. And it may not be a big deal for a game like Borderlands 3. You may not care because, truth be told, 2K is going to make most of that extra money and yeah. not and the, Gearbox. Well, the, well, the other thing... That, but the indie guys, it's the really big deal. They're right. already on like a... Well, there's two separate things there. Where like, profit margin. The, where the, the indie guys are into it because of the, the, the lower cut that Epic takes. The reason like people like, say, EA, you know, EA or 2K... I mean, EA is all wrapped up in Origin. But like, the re, like 2K is okay with that because... And here's the dirty little secret... PC games don't sell that much. Yeah. Like, the, the rule of thumb among all my developer friends is assume that, that the any console version of a game is going to sell three to four times what the PC version does. At least. The PC version is... And that's assuming a successful all-across-the-board on every platform game. Mm -hmm. um, 2K is willing to do this because Epic's probably giving them some kind of incentive. And they're going to sell four or five times that many copies on PlayStation 4. Yeah. Like, their money is made on the consoles. Oh, yeah. So if they want to get some free money, you know, guaranteed free money from Epic ahead of time instead of from selling the, the game on the version? Yeah. Oh, Great. Yeah. Of, course it's on. of course that's going to happen. Why, why hasn't Valve done this all along? Because they didn't have to. It had a yeah, monopoly. They, yeah, they, they, were, they, were, they had no competition. Yeah. And for all the talk of, you know, oh, Monopoly, Disney's a monopoly, no, we want competition, here's competition. Yeah. Epic Store is coming. And people Ep rebel against Well, it. I realize the Epic Store's competition is not in the sense like, oh, they made a superior product. Yeah. So people are gravitating to that instead. Yeah. It's like we're gonna make you come to our product because other if you don't want the if you want this thing you want, but that's also how competition works. Yeah, it is absolutely. Like, you know, this theater has this actor and it doesn't have this actor. Back in the old vaudeville, day. like that was how you did. It. Or you lured the the star player over here, and now you got to go see this team play if you want to see that star player. I mean, that they still happens. Play. Yeah, 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 of course it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... The Lakers just tried it. It didn't work so they well. They did try. It didn't really work well at all, actually. I mean, they tried to pay to be competitive, and it didn't work. Yeah. But people are doing it all the time in every facets of business. So it's been interesting to watch some at people the very least, get so it angry might, over this. At the very least, I think it might stir Valve into motion, yeah. which, like, that can't hurt. It definitely can't hurt. Like, maybe it'll make some damn video games, like... It's had it on autopilot for so long because of Steam. I am so glad to see it get its cage rattled a little bit. The index is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look. Now all of a sudden, here comes a VR well, helmet. I, th I think that was in planning before the Epic Store. No did way. Anything. No way. No. They started <laughs> their VR helmet the day that they announced the Epic Game Store, and they used all their money to make it in two Tim, months. Tim Sweeney made an anonymous <laughs> phone call to games like, "You might want to get that VR helmet running, game." <laughs> We're coming for you. <laughs> and then you just hear like the sound of like a cash register in the background for five minutes and Gabe just can't hang the phone up. <laughs> I will say this. After learning more about Borderlands 3, I'm starting to come around on it a little bit. I, I've said before I'm not a huge fan of Borderlands. Never have been. Uh, but I, I always end up giving the next one a chance. I didn't think I was even going to do that with Borderlands 3, but I think I will. I think I'll play it and I see. Will. I, didn't, I didn't actually play the pre-sequel until it became like $10. Yeah. You know, like I, I got the pre-sequel because it was cheap in a bundle at some point. Yep. Um, didn't they give it away on Xbox 
live or probably like I I did I would definitely did not pay more than ten dollars for that game and yeah I might have even gotten it free through one of those things right. like that yeah um, because it was just so much of the same and I feel like three is going to be more. Uh, the only thing that would really put me off three is if the games as a service stuff is extremely in- intrusive. Yep. Um, which it might be. I mean, it's I don't 2K. know. It's 2K. Yeah. The new Pactor factor, someone asked Pactor about that. They're like, what's going to be up with Borderlands 3? It's 2K. I was kind of shocked that Pactor just blew it off. He was like, ah, oh, whatever. And, I, and like off camera, I'm like, yo, I'm like, NBA 2K is like one of the worst franchises. Yeah. And then he, and people don't realize when we shoot Pactor Factor, a lot of times when we're recording something, he'll start replying and then I'll say something to him and be like, hey, you probably should address this. And that was one of the things I told him. I'm like, hey, NBA 2K is one of the worst in the yeah. industry with this micro. And he was like, well, with sports games. And I'm like, but Pac, he was saying that sports games are, aren't treated the same. And I was like, why would you say that? And he's like, because you can still play the game if you want. And I'm like, but you, well, you can, but... If you want to be good at these games and you want to compete legitimately and maybe have a chance of you know, being in competitions to play esports, all those contests are played with the modes that have the microtransactions. They're played with Ultimate Team. And he's like, well, that doesn't matter. You can still just play the game and have fun. I'm like, that, no, when you pay money for a game, you shouldn't have to choose like which part of it you want to enjoy. It, it, I was not getting through to him. So try... In that Pactor Factor, if you were frustrated with that reply, I was trying. Is there, is there <laughs> trying to make him understand? Is there also an element of like the assumption that people who play sports games primarily may not know that they're getting screwed? It's possible. In that sense, it's possible. You know? They're more casual for sure. Um, like if you don't, whereas like someone who, people who play board, like Borderlands, main audience is going to be a lot more sensitive to like that kind of tactic. That's true. Because yeah. um, it's almost like a mobile game thing. So I feel sometimes I feel like hardcore sports gamers are sort of halfway between like the mobile gamers we were talking about earlier, who gladly fork over their money for Galaxy of Heroes or whatever, and you know like a like a more core gamer who can play something like Borderlands and see when they're being pandered to. It's pretty brilliant what EA and 2K have done, though. Mm-hmm. They have ensured that the standard mode that everyone will play in their tournaments are the modes that generate revenue. Mm-hmm. So even if you go on YouTube and you look at the really good Madden players and they'll challenge each other, it's this whole network of, I'm going to challenge you, and they talk smack to each other, it's funny. But they play Ultimate Team. And it's because EA decided, like, this is what this is where you're going to test your might. This is where you're going to test your metal. How good are you at Ultimate Team? It's not just picking the stock Pittsburgh Steelers and seeing how good you are. You're going to play with this team that has Ben Roethlisberger as a quarterback, but has OBJ as a receiver and has Kareem Hunt as a running back. That's what they've set as a standard for those games. And it was all by design because those are the modes that generate the money. And that's what concerns me about Borderlands. How are they going to apply the microtransactions? Are they going to make sure that the part of, that, of Borderlands 3 that people are going to most want to play is the part of the game that is most saturated with microtransactions. Like the microtransaction thing with the main, the main players these days, the big publishers, uh, I feel like um, it's almost like they're playing shuffleboard. Yeah. Like they're, they're sliding that microtransaction puck out 
and they don't want to cross that line, but they want to come as close to it Without as they can. Going, it's like the price is right. Yeah, and like, <laughs> and like for like Battlefront 2, like EA was like, and it just, yeah, it just banged it against the back of the thing. You know, it fell off the edge of right, the thing. Right, yeah, like, slid all the way up no, 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 no. into the pool. Yeah, yeah and, like, <laughs> hit, and like hit the big dude in the head, and he gets out of the pool. He's like, come on. But yeah, like, it was like the yeah. worst possible throw. Yeah, yeah. Ever yeah. Uh, whereas, and like the rest of these guys, like, oh, EA did that. We better be more careful. But you see, like, you're just sort of waiting to see if like each one crosses that line yeah and like if it's if it's, is it oh, it's right before that's okay oh it's a little bit over the line but i can deal with it all right that's too much you know it, yeah. i feel like you're just sort of waiting and watching and watching it's like curling <laughs> it's like, and like will will it will it make it or will it will it go too far i thought it was a great question i thought pack just kind of blew it off uh, i have real concerns about borderlands no, over a, how... when you think i didn't thought about nba 2k because i don't think about nba i don't think about NBA 2K so much that I forgot to draft it this year. Right, right. Like, <laughs> you usually do. And I drafted Anthem. I think, like, <laughs> if, if anything tells you that I was trying to, I was trying to give Bioware the benefit of the doubt one last time. I think we all were. The fact that I get, picked Anthem. Yeah, you first. want to. You want to see it succeed. We've had so many great experiences. They had every them. all hands on deck on it. I yeah. really thought they were we going to pull that off. But anyway, uh, I think yeah, I think once you bring up NBA 2K and its history of that, it's, it's a, that's a valid concern. You'd like to think that they're not. Not even enough to to, yeah. to not see what's happening elsewhere in the industry and see what's happened to EA with Battlefront and you know kind of like how you, you go walk that line, but at the same time, dumber decisions have been made. So. To Pactor in his defense, and God knows what Randy's doing. So. Right, Pactor in his defense did bring up a good point, which is Red Dead Online has been out now for months and they still haven't mm -hmm. started monetizing it yet. Although at the same time, I, I, I feel like you're, you're sort of in a Vince Zampella situation where you can't really judge the company by what Rockstar is doing. Yeah, Because Rockstar, they with Rockstar is the 8,000-pound gorilla, yeah. and whatever they, however they want to do it, that's how it's going to be done. Yeah, my guess is Gearbox doesn't have that same cachet. Probably not. <laughs> I would think... Uh, Even though Borderlands I would 2 think sold like 19 million. Right, but at the same time, I feel like every time Randy like would try to demand something, someone at 2K would just like pop up, out of nowhere, just pop up a video of like that Aliens Colonial Marines <laughs> thing where the, where the, where the alien like, kind of walks in and it just leaves. It's like, Either that or they'd ask him, wait, you're a, ma you're a magician. Can't you just make the money appear? <laughs> it's like, well, we're going to... Abracadabra. We're going to need to see uh, USB drives number four through seven yeah. in place here. And then we'll, th we'll talk about it. Yep. All right, let's move on. One thing I do like about not having the graphics is the people watching the show live have no idea what's coming next. Hmm. Usually they do. There's a little teaser there. But now they don't know what's coming. Uh, next, we're going to talk about... Nintendo VR, Nintendo Labo VR mm. kit. This week it was announced, shockingly, that there are going to be VR options for Super Mario Odyssey and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Now, Mario is a separate little three-level thing yeah. that they're doing. You're going to be able to play the entirety of Breath of the Wild in VR with Labo. Yeah. I have a question. Have you ever seen a strap for the Labo VR a strap? visor? Yeah, so you can wear it. I mean, probably. I don't know. I haven't paid that much attention. I never it. have. Every time they show it, people are holding it up to their face. Hmm. I don't know. Think about that, though. How do you play a VR game if it's to hold the visor the whole time you're playing? I'm going to guess there's a visor. There's a strap. 
Why would they not show people using this trap? Well, maybe they haven't finalized it yet. I don't know. Do you see any holes there for a strap on that? I don't know. I don't, how are you going to... I mean, unless you think you're going to like hold it to your face and play it on the sides? I'm it? starting to wonder. That, that would be pretty funny. Um, I mean, it's not like a big, robust VR mode or anything here. It's just basically... You're basically looking at it like it's an IMAX screen. Um, it's basically... You're, you're, it's not like you're, you're playing it first person from Link's perspective or anything. Um, I'm interested to see what that looks like, although I probably will never find out because I ain't buying that Labo thing. Um, <laughs> the Mario one is more interesting to me because it seems like they're sort of taking a page from Astrobot. Yeah, um, which is, which I would say is the has been the best implementation of PlayStation VR. It's definitely the most promising like like angle to take for if you're going to adapt these things. It's it's the most no brainer. I mean, you're basically just giving a different perspective to viewing the game from a third yeah. person perspective. Although I, th I think the perspective of the Mario Odyssey stuff is more compelling than just like putting Breath of the Wild basically on a giant a giant screen. Absolutely. Because it's all about depth perception and jumping. Like it could actually make 3D platformers easier to control if you think about it. If you can finally judge the distance just by looks alone. Um, I just, I wonder what, I mean, look, Zelda doesn't run too well. Right. Zelda runs around 27 frames a second on average, and that's going to be... I mean, it's probably going to be different if you're just looking at a giant screen or whatever, but, like, that's going to get hard on the eyes after a while, I would think. I can't even imagine playing Zelda in VR on that Labo piece of junk. I mean, if I can't handle PlayStation VR or PC HMDs... This thing is just going to make me projectile vomit. I don't I mean, know about it. I think if you're just watching, it's like, do you get sick when you watch IMAX movies? No. Because that's basically what this is going to be. Really? So just, is that really big... VR? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a form of VR, yeah. It's how Netflix VR works. Because, look, I think <laughs> we're straddling the line between 3D and VR. Because that's 3D. Yeah. IMAX. That's not VR. There's a difference. Not in this case, really. <laughs> I mean, that's that they should I mean, be calling it VR. I mean, but that is, if it's in a VR headset, it's VR, and that's that's the, for marketing purposes. It's like how you can watch videos on, like, the Vive in, you know, in a giant, a, a fake giant screen, basically. Like, yeah, but a, I don't consider that VR, though. Well, it depends if they simulate seats. <laughs> I mean that's right. what I mean Facebook that was one of their like basic use cases is they want people to watch movies together in a virtual theater from like friend, with your friends across the country like you're all sitting on the couch together yeah. like that's one of their key things that when in their original pitch meetings for like what they they wanted Oculus Rift to do that was like job two right but the difference you know? is when you're sitting there watching the movie i can see you sitting there you're there yeah but that tech never that, you can't even do that right like, that's not well yeah i happens. mean they've, they've completely but this is the, the kind of thing that i think the, the, the zelda mode as far as i understand it that's what it's going to be it's basically be like playing it on a giant movie screen oh then that might make it taller i still don't understand it'll why still be in like 3d play it that like, it'll still, i think it'll still be in 3d or whatever yeah. like you know, or it'll be it might be like a thing where it's like the uh, like you're just like the like a hovering camera or whatever. That would be. I, I feel like the hovering camera thing would be like that would make you sick because you're in the in the environment. So you think that it's not? But I feel like you can't put yourself in the game in that sense in a game that runs so poorly frame rate. -wise. I mean, you're talking about. I mean, 90 is the recommended, but like there's ways to do interpolation that like make it like a fake 90, but like. 
I mean, you're just you're you're screaming for people to get horribly ill if you're you're trying to put the, immerse them in an environment that's running in sub thirty yeah. in a VR situation. So that's why the only solution to me would be to just throw it on a giant screen in three D. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's exactly what it's going to be because there's no way the Switch can render these games twice. No, it can't render them once. No, Mario. I mean, Mario is going to be make more sense because I think it's going to be like an AstroBot thing. And they're building it from and, scratch. And they're building it for that. Yeah. yeah this is, I mean, I feel like the Zelda thing is just going to be like a neat trick. I think so, too. I think you're right. I think it's just going to be, you're just viewing it like right up to your eyeballs. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, then in that case, I, I can't even understand what the point of it is. You may get a little bit of well, it's depth better than not doing it. You know? Is it? Yeah, it's, it's like it'll be in 3D. It'll be, yeah. a, it'll be you'll something. get some depth out of it, I guess. And like you know, if I I feel like you're not, they don't expect you to play 70 hours of the game like that. It's more of like, hey, you you know, people love these vistas and this world that it takes place in, and you can go up on top of a mountain and go look down and look it's in 3D and it's beautiful. And yeah, great. I think it, you're right. I think it's like, and that's why I wonder if there's even a strap for this thing because there I is think a it's, strap. There, Vincent is saying there is a strap, but they haven't shown it. But there is a place to put a strap. Oh, okay, that's good. What will that be? I mean, that's going to be one hell of a strap if you're strapping a whole switch to your face. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be heavy. I mean, I guess you take the the, the Joy-Cons off if you're doing it that way, but it's still a substantial a substantial thing to hold with cardboard. Well, the other thing, know? too, is a car, with a cardboard on your nose? Like, is there, like, the like, whole thing is like, crazy. It's probably like a little plastic, like, thing or something. I don't know. <laughs> it seems so nutty. It really seems to me like Nintendo... I mean, it's not too far off the Google Cardboard thing. <clears throat> it's the 3DS all over again is what I think. I mean, they're just trying to bring back basically 3D in some way on Switch. Yeah. I mean, people speculate about VR is about just this. a convenient name to use yeah. for 2019. But I mean, if Google Cardboard's VR, this is VR. Yeah. You yeah. Know, it's it's fine. I mean, it basically is Google Cardboard. Yeah. I mean, it makes you wonder what the Switch, the next Switch will have. Yeah. What do you mean as far as VR is concerned? Or VR or integration or like some kind of add-on or something. I mean, clear. I mean, this indicates to me that clearly Nintendo is not uninterested in the idea yeah i mean uh, even though it has kind of gone on the record saying that it wasn't well they can't they can say that all they want but they're the ones that put the virtual boy out yep absolutely so yeah i, I think what you're gonna do with this when you play zelda you're not gonna play the whole game with it on no, like you're gonna get to those moments where you want to see things from that perspective yeah and i think this is like that probably looks pretty cool yeah you know in the but I th- also think, like, like you said, like the way they said they weren't interested. I'm sh- this the Nintendo the Labo VR thing strikes me as something like the Labo team like they cooked this thing up and showed it to you know the higher ups and they were like, all right, that's pr- okay, you, you did something pretty cool there. We can do this. Yeah, you know, we can move forward with this. It was maybe not a priority, but so, you know, someone in that Labo team was just like, this was their pet project. They're like, I can make it do this. I can. I know I can get the Switch to do this, and they did it. And here we are. Yeah. The other problem, too, is obviously... How much does it cost? Uh, like 80 bucks, I think, Jeez. total. But it includes, like, all the other stuff. But like the The game can... and all the cardboard yeah. and all that stuff. Still. I mean, it's not it's not a $700 headset, I guess. Yeah. It's I mean, it's, it's definitely, that. like, the way to dip your toe into <laughs> VR before you want to take the plunge. Absolutely. So... We'll see how it goes. It's coming out April 25th. Also, I should mention both Mario and Zelda are free. They're free downloads free updates. or updates. Yeah, so you don't have to pay any extra. Free I mean, I am stuff. I am mildly tempted by the Mario thing. Yeah, <clears throat> it looks like Astrobot Mario. Astrobot Mario. Yeah. yeah. And, like if they want to keep putting and out. There's levels, not a single I'm... word in that sentence I don't like. Nope. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe it might end up being a little better than we thought. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a neat. Tr- it's like everything Labo does. It's a neat trick. But does it, will it last? Does it have staying power? Not so far. Yeah. But 
I mean, I think it hasn't it, given up on it. No, I think it's just a little, a little thing. It's a little, you know, like the it's a first toe in the VR space for Nintendo and in the modern well, era. Well, second, I and, guess. Uh, well, no, let's not bring that up. <laughs> um, Nintendo doesn't want us to bring it up. No, um, I was shocked when Reggie mentioned it when Sessler asked about when the 3DS was unveiled, and he's like, "How long have you been working on this?" And Reggie said, "Since the Virtual Boy." Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe you said virtual. I can Boy. see that with the 3DS tech, though. Because oh, the 3DS yeah. tech was kind of mind blowing. It oh, still well, kind of is. Like, I still don't understand how oh, it for works. Sure. It, was, it, was it a, still might be witchcraft. It's a little bit of magic right there. Yeah, it's but really like, crazy. Um, I was just I was just surprised he said, they said virtual boy. I mean, you could have just said like 15 years. Yeah. But you said it's virtual boy. Yeah. And like, no one says virtual boy. No. Um, That's you for you sure. hurt children's eyes with that. <laughs> yeah. That's it. They might hurt people's eyes with this thing. We'll see how it goes. Or their th- their stomachs. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna move on. I have I have faith that Nintendo wouldn't do something. Like it would that. hurt kids. Um, yeah. I'm, well, not well, remember they kids. had to put the disclaimer on the 3ds post haste. Yeah, but uh, I I also don't really believe that. So I think it was that was I, I, the science on that is pretty shaky. As far um, as like it hurting kids' eyes, damaging or kids. Yeah, it's like kids see 3D all the time. They're seeing 3D yeah, all the not, time. <laughs> Yeah, <sighs> people are just very. In the fifties, there were people, there were teenagers who were wearing three D glasses all the time. They didn't see blue and red for the rest of their life. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, I just feel like you know they would test this for nausea problems. Uh, yeah. Probably pretty extensively. Well, they should test it on me, because <laughs> I am a good guinea pig. I'll tell you Apparently that much. So. Absolutely. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about the next Assassin's Creed, uh, the Division Two. It turns out had a little Easter egg in it. Um, one of the buildings in the game, if you searched around, there were posters on the wall that showed basically a hint at what's coming for the next Creed. Uh, the Apple of Eden was in one of this, it was on the poster. I think that's what caught people's attention. And you start looking closer at it, and it basically reveals that the next Assassin's Creed is a Viking setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kotaku followed that up, that discovery with its sources, and again, Jason Schreier confirmed with his independent sources that, in fact, the next Assassin's Creed is set in a Viking era. Contradicting their previous leak that it was in Rome. Right. Yeah. Which is a little disappointing because it felt like Egypt to Greece to Rome was kind of a nice... It seemed to make... Arc. A lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Where but then again, Vikings, not so much. At the same time, though, uh, Rome could have felt a lot like Greece. That's true. So changing it up to Vikings might be a pretty smart move, and it also gives you a good reason to uh, change up the naval combat, which uh, I think by the the 150th hour was getting a little stale in Odyssey. Yeah. Um, So changing that up into sort of a more berserker ramming stuff and jumping on guys with shield, that, that could be pretty awesome. I think it could be like the best Assassin's Creed ever potentials there seriously i mean it could the tone could be completely different imagine playing as like a badass marauder instead of this here's the one thing though stealth vikings aren't stealthy man they're Mm. just like that they're the antithesis of stealth they are just in your face just rush the enemy they can be but brute force well that's the stereotypical belief of them but vikings were smart warriors like they could you know, if you're outnumbered and you're in, you know, you land your ship somewhere and you got like 30 guys and you're just running around the countryside, if everybody gets together and comes at you, you know, you're dead. 
So um, no matter how badass of a Viking you are, so yeah, there was some stealth to that. You gotta you gotta scout some stuff out. You gotta you gotta work your way through. You gotta take them, and then and then when you go loud, when you've got them on their on their heels. I mean, Vikings, you, could, you could definitely play that way. Vikings may have had assassins. Sure, guys that snuck in behind enemy lines and mm-hmm. did the dirty work. Well, also like you you know you get to the edge of the village and you scout things out and you figure things out and then everybody charge or whatever. Yeah. Or you you take out the key guys or you sabotage some stuff, come back out, then you send the the berserkers in. Uh, there's a lot of you know the, the, you know warfare has you know as, even as the Vikings practice it, there's a lot of different uh, things you can do with that. And it's also it's Assassin's Creed. Screw it, like it's. You know what else didn't happen? Uh, the ancient Greek war- <laughs> ancient Greek warriors didn't jump off hundred foot cliffs, you know, do, use a shockwave to stun everybody, and then like shoot them with like sonic fire arrows. Like, How like, do you know? Were you there? Yes. <laughs> Can I... reveal now. I'm two thousand years old, and everything Cassandra said she could do, she really did. Were there female warriors? Yes, there were. In fact, I know I've seen like in caricatures. In fact, some but... archaeological sites indicate that there were bands of Vikings that were mostly women. Really? Yes. Now you mentioned ship combat. Obviously, the Viking ships are small. Yeah, they're not. They're yeah, not, I don't uh, know how huge. you can pull off the naval combat the way it has well, been. Some, some of the long ships were decent size. You just basically, I think, you can just do a permutation of what Odyssey and Origins have already done. But they had no cannons. Neither did these. They just use arrows. Oh, arrows, right. Yeah, I guess the Vikings could use that. I mean, that's not even particularly historically accurate in the Greek thing. You know, you, you can't hit anything with a frickin' arrow from a moving <laughs> ship. Like, that's just, like, you know, to give the gameplay a little, little, little pizzazz. But, Matt, that's why but, you fire a thousand of them at once. No, Greek, like, Greek <laughs> naval con- combat was about maneuvering to ram somebody right. and then getting on the ship and killing everyone. Yeah. Like, they were, you were literally maneuvering around to ram into each other. That was the whole point. Um, I mean, maybe you could use some Greek fire here and there, or whatever. But we don't we don't know how to make that anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can fudge that as much as you want to make the gameplay fun, basically. And uh, so they did in Odyssey, and I'm sure they will in this one as well. And that's fine. I don't you know I don't I don't demand exact historical accuracy from my uh, historical simulator VR <laughs> Matrix <laughs> ancient aliens game. You know, it's yeah, like, it's it fine. is. It is a fine line that the Assassin's Creed franchise skirts, though, because yeah. it wants to be historically accurate, no, but it wants to it be can't his- be. It wants to be historically authentic. Like the 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 you know, I don't judge the Assassin's Creed settings by like how believable or realistic they are. I be- I, I judge them by how much does it make me feel I'm there, and. They they did that beautifully in Origins and Odyssey, and yeah. I'm sure they'll do it. My main question is like, where are you gonna? Where does it take place? Is it gonna be the shores of of, uh, of Scandinavia, or are you gonna like go raid Ireland or England or France, or like you're gonna discover the New World? Like you know, there's a whole lot of places you can go with that. Yep. it's gonna be you know very interesting to see, like especially considering the scale and size they did with Odyssey. Um, if they keep it to that size, you could be talking about a game that covers the entire North Atlantic. I just like how it's going to completely change the tone of the game. Like, the game has kind of been bougie all this time. It's, the, it's always like you're always a part of high society of what era it's from. You're never just this barbarian marauder. Like I, mean, it's, I mean, you were in Odyssey to some degree. You're just some guy or girl who... Yeah, but you're rubbing the- elbows with the elite. You're you're always in like the nicest buildings. You're oh, but you're hobnobbing with the smartest people, the richest people. But you really think you're, you're not... manipulating them, but you're still like a part of that. Like, right, the Vikings really were think... just like 
Dude, they lived in like mud camps. No, like they didn't. They lived in actual like longhouses. I mean, have you seen Thor? Like they they lived in like actual. You know, obviously they lived in some pretty rough well, things they were when nomadic. they were in campaign. They didn't really live anywhere. Man, Vikings weren't nomadic. They lived in specific locations back home. They just right. But traveled they were a lot. always conquering. They're always out, and I'm wondering if no, this... they were always raiding. They weren't conquering. You're thinking about Attila the Hun. What's the difference between raiding and conquering? Conquering means you take the location and hold it. Raiding means you take stuff and leave. It's okay. a difference between a it's robber. The difference, no, it's not. It's the difference between a robber and a guy who steals your shit and won't leave your house. Like there's two different, very different things. I think you know what I meant. Not really. You're splitting I, hairs. No, yes, I'm, you are. I, no, I don't know what. I don't really know what you mean because like that's not what the Vikings did. They went places, killed people, and took shit. Yeah, I don't know what you want to call that's that. That's raiding. Conquering means you took over the country. I, don't you think when you go to some place and you kill everybody, you just conquered them? Not if you leave. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> why do you get caught up on shit like this? I don't get it. Because that's what Vikings did. They anyway, were ra Viking raids. Anyway, Vikings were always on the go. <laughs> well, the military was. They're always they, out they're trying were... to kill people and take their shit. That's a real simple way of looking at it, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of the way video games work. <laughs> they look at the most simple element of what well, something was. Well, except the Assassin's Creed games don't do that. Sometimes to their detriment. I mean, I think you sat in a lot, way too many, I think you sat in way too many legislative meetings in Assassin's Creed 3, for instance. I just, um, I don't think it'll be fun to live as a part of Viking society. I think it would be more fun to be doing what Vikings typically were doing, which was out on, out going after other people and take trying to take what they had. Well, I'm like, sure that will be part of that, but there's going to be the old Assassin's Creed story where you get involved in some first, you know, you, you're going to find some weird first, whatever they call the first ones or whatever, what, there's a oh, name the first for society. Or yeah, the, the, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Those guys, the 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 creep, the weirdos that that invented the apples and everything. Um, you're gonna find some weird thing that like gives you some. You're gonna find something that you stick on your axe, and that's gonna like make the axe shoot fire or something. You know, just like uh, this Odyssey, where you had the spear, which was actually an artifact from the original civil, first civilization or whatever. Um, and you'll get involved in stuff. I mean, you're gonna totally be hanging out with Leif Erikson. I promise. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and every, every, you know, probably run into like, you know, the the proto proto King Arthur of some point. You know, like when you invade, uh, um, you know, when you, when you invade England or whatever. You know, there's gonna there's gonna be some prominent historical figures one way or the other. It's an Assassin's Creed game. I mean, it is a little ridiculous in Odyssey by the end of it, where you're like. You're literally partying with Socrates, Aristophanes, and like all all the major like yeah. <laughs> people. Um, That's what I'm saying. The games are always you're never like the grunt, the poor person, or the. The people who are scratching to survive. Well, well, You're always kind of a part of the affluent part of the society. But I would disagree with that because I think you generally are exactly that, but you're that person caught up in the the elite. Like Cassandra and Alexios are exactly what you're describing, but they get caught up in this like, you know, high high stakes like you know. Yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't want to be I would rather play an Assassin's Creed where you that doesn't happen. Where you Play is a different tone. Like, you're always around royalty in Assassin's Creed. You're around the powerful people. And a lot of times you have to kill them or you're trying to stop them from doing something terrible. But you're always around them. Like, I would prefer to play a Creed where it's just gritty and uh, maybe more like a God of War type thing where it's just like this place that you go and you're, you're fighting for survival. You're holding on by your fingernails. I don't know. I, I, I think you're going to be disappointed if that's. I know. What you're I know. From this. Uh, now that you're bringing it up, like I think you're right. I think they are going to just make it in Viking society, and that makes my excitement for the game like just chopped in half, like right away. 
Like, I would rather play as a Viking instead of living in where Vikings go when they're not really being Vikings. I mean, I, don't, I think it will be both things, but I think you're going to see the home front in the same way that, you know, because that's what Viking raids were. You went out, you raided wherever you're going to do, and then you brought, the, you brought the booty home, you know? And so, like, I'm sure there will be, my guess is the beginning of the game is going to send you out on some, like, crazy, awesome, badass Viking raid, like what you're describing. But then, uh, then you'll leave. You, you, burn, you torch the place, you kill the, kill the, you know, you loot the stuff, and you kill the people, and you take the things, and you, whatever. And one of the things you, you loot happens to be An a apple. first civilization. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Like, like, that's going to be that village's, like, sacred object or something, and you take it, and somebody's like, don't take it, and you take it, and the whole sh place shakes. And, they, you know, like, I swear to God, I don't have any inside info on this game, but I guarantee <laughs> you, you. And you sail back, and they'll put this the title Assassin's Creed Kingdom up as you sail into the harbor of your home Viking village, and everybody will come out. And you'll you'll do like the slow walk through the whole village back <laughs> up be to like, the Look long what he house. Back. Like, oh, he has like the kids will run out, and, and the dog will come out. And your character will pet the dog, so you like your character now because he pets dogs. And you get up to the long house, and the, the chief, who's like probably your dad or your uncle or something, comes out. And is like it's like what have you brought back? We brought back many things. You know, like yeah. a, and then they'll have the whole thing. They'll find this thing and like <laughs> go like and it'll like it like dissolve somebody important, and then they'll blame you for it. And you have to leave the village and go out into the world. And recruit your whole group, and then you'll run into somebody who's like some kind of proto assassins guild guy, and you'll end up like helping them, and then they'll find out you have one of those artifacts, and like, oh, I'm gonna stick with you, and then that's how you're gonna end up <laughs> on this whole quest to figure out what the Templars are doing and all this. I mean, you know I'm right. You know that's exactly <laughs> well, yeah, what this fucking game is. That's how they all be. play out, but that's what I'm saying. I would want something different from that from this game. I can, like, I, I don't can understand want, that. I don't want the game to be like. The Vikings aren't as bad as people think they are. Oh, like, I think the Vikings are going to be as bad as people think they are. I hope like, they are. I but I think everybody's going to be that bad. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, I mean, you could, I mean, look, the people who made uh, For Honor get it. Yeah. You know, like, I, I think. Did Ubis you watch that doc? Yeah, I think Ubisoft has a, has a handle like, internally on what Vikings can be. Um, I think uh, I think you won't be disappointed in the depiction of Viking life. That's a, I mean, they do their research on that kind of thing. Um, but I just think that like it's going to be more, you know, the modern action RPG Assassin's Creed formula than you think. It's just going to be in the North Atlantic, and you're going to be there's going to be a raiding mechanic, and probably like that'll be how you like replenish your crew or something. You know, um, I think there's going to be a lot of na uh, naval com naval stuff, not naval combat like between like tall ships or something. But I think there's going to be a lot of sailing. You know what I mean? Uh, just because they're they're a I mean, sea, that's what they did. they're a sea people. Yeah, you know. Um, but I think there's gonna be a lot of that. I think there's gonna be a lot of uh, exploration because, like, you're you know striking out and finding these new new places, including maybe North America at one point, because uh, they beat Columbus to that one <laughs> by, by yeah. a few hundred years. Um, I, th I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of meat there. Uh, I think the opportunity is better than it's ever been to make an amazing game. Yeah. I'm, I, and I hope that they concentrate on the right things and. And try to make it different yeah, from I th other I think, creeds. I think that's why you take that year off here. But I think the differences are going to be more in the gameplay systems that are in place to make it feel like Viking stuff as opposed to like changing the formula of how these games unfold. Because that's just proven at this point. Like, you know, that's just, it works. There's no reason to You're going to take outposts. You're going to synchronize. You're going to be outposts. You're going to be like, I mean, I wonder, I do wonder what the character is going to look like because there's a point at which. Your stereo Characters, you mean? Yeah, I'm sure you'll be able to pick male or female Viking. But, like, my question becomes, like, 
there's a point at which my stereotypical image of a Viking is not someone who can climb a tower. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or climb at all. Right. Like, no. They're big, brutish dudes with big, like, axes. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, it just seems like it has the opportunity to completely flip the script on this franchise. I, yeah, am... I, just, I just don't think that's going to happen, because otherwise you haven't made Assassin's Creed. You've made Viking Battle for Asgard 2, which I wouldn't necessarily disagree, you know, argue with, because I did like Viking Battle for Asgard. If no one remembers what that is, that was the Creative Assembly open-world Viking game from, like, the 360 yeah. generation, which I actually liked a lot more than I probably should have. Yeah, it wasn't great. But I didn't like it. It wasn't it was, terrible, but it wasn't great either. It was, it, it, but it did kind of get at the heart of what you're, descri- what you're asking yeah, yeah, for. Yeah, it that. had the tone that I'm talking yeah. about, absolutely. So we'll see. I'm also interested because, like, you know, as Od- Origins and Odyssey both were willing to go into sort of the mythology of things and, like, kind of get, get a little crazy in that I regard. I love that. And yeah. so, you know, obviously Viking, you know, Norse, Norse mythology, mythology is very, yeah. very open to that. Um, in terms of the first civilization stuff, you could probably... Um, you could probably... Uh, make a real hard play for a couple of those guys being the original Norse gods. Like, you know, yeah. Odin, you know, some some guy with a eye patch from the first civilization, like some hologram Odin. guy is Odin or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's already implications in Odyssey that the various, uh, you know, the, the various AIs sort of masqueraded as different gods through the years in different civilizations. So there's a lot you can do with that. I mean, I, I am a little more interested in this than, say, if it were, I mean, I certainly would have played it if it was Rome. Um, but I do think that Rome is so similar to Greece in just sort of basic visual trappings that doing something that like differentiates itself more. Like the, you're not going to mistake the Viking game for the Greece game. No. So that is probably a wiser choice. Yeah, I also feel like Rome's just a little bit played out at this point. Like, well, I would say Norse mythology is too a little bit. I mean, God. I mean, you're up against God of War at that point. Yeah. And like that's a tough, that's a tough opponent. It's a tough to comparison, choose. but if there's a franchise that can do it, right? This is one of True. them. True. So, and it's obviously going to do a very different thing with it, but um, I'm excited by this. Honestly, I, I'm. I think it's, I'm a little. I'm definitely more interested in a Viking Assassin's Creed than I am with um, a uh, Rome Roman one. I mean, yeah. I would play the Roman one, but this is. I, I just played 140 something hours of a Greece one, and look. Not, yeah, you just finished it last. Not night. trying to piss <laughs> off our, our Greek and Italian uh, viewers or anything, yeah. but it, they're you know. Even the gods have different names, but they're the same people. They I mean, are, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, at, at two, Brute, yeah, yes, me too. <laughs> yes, me, too, me as well. It did happen. And uh, but do some Viking stuff. You're a little, you're a little more wide open. You're a little freer. Like you don't have to. You know, that's the other thing. Is like uh, you're you're free to sort of make your own history up a little more because like Viking history is a little more freeform. Well, not a lot of uh, not a lot of written records. Yeah. Whereas if you, where if you do ancient Rome, you're sort of locked into doing the Caesar story and kind of all that. You know, you're, you're, you, you, you're everybody knows how that goes. You're going to go yeah. to the Colosseum. I mean, you just, you're going to hang out with Cicero. Yeah. You're I mean, there's go. just like all these just checklists. You just know. And yeah. like with this other setting, it, to me, it just seems completely wide open of what it could be and what we could experience. Yeah. So. I think you're a lot more free to, to, you know, and you can bring in like, I guess it was talking about like the original King Arthur. You, you can bring in like, you know, vaguely or do we even know they existed historical figures that may or may not be historical figures and sort of have flesh them out a little more. Um, you know, there is a chance that it will be more uh, down and dirty and muddy uh, just in the sense that, like, the, if you're going for the usual Viking time period, that whole section of, of Europe was not particularly advanced 
Um, you know, the castles were some of the worst places to live because they were freezing and disgusting. Right. Um, so there's a lot you could do with that and make it a little less opulent than sort of like the high end. I mean, I mean, they're, they're, even the Assassin's Creed's that take place in stuff like, you know, ancient, they're pretty good about, you know, scattering horse shit everywhere. You know, <laughs> they don't look like places that smell good. Yeah. They're, they're pretty honest about that stuff. So yeah, I mean, but inevitably I, you end up hobnobbing with the elite almost every time. Yeah, I think though in this setting, <clears throat> you you have a point in the sense that like the elite in this setting are still going to be pretty. Oh yeah, they're still living in a people. tent. Yeah, yeah like yeah, and that's what I like about it. And that's what I think will give even, it. I mean, even edge. if you end up on like mainland England or Ireland, you know, it's you're not even in brave. You know, it's, you're, you're, you're not still even, rugged. Yeah, you're still in a you know very different setting. Than sort of you know the people reclining on couches eating grapes in in Odyssey. Yep. So it'll be a good shift. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I can see a whole lot of different gameplay systems that could make stuff different and more varied and shake things up. Even with even if you're not going to shake up the formula of how the story kind of unfolds in terms of how you know you you introduce the main character into this sort of world of Templars and assassins. Although that's also a good point. In that, uh, well, I'm not saying my own point is a good point, but like I, I just thought of like you know because you're, this is probably taking place several hundred years after the games we just played. Yeah, you are in full Templar assassin territory. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're fine. You're not looking at kind of the the well, that, I mean the I don't want to sort spoil of too much, but the last game like kind of explains the origins. Yeah, like the last two games are sort of explaining how that comes about, and so now you're you're kind of finally back to the assassins and Templars yeah. again for the first time in. Four years? Five years? Five years? Six yeah. years? Syndicate, I guess. Would be Syndicate the last was one. the last one, yeah. Yeah. So, pretty excited about it. Yeah. And we'll it's see coming what... in 2020. It will probably be a bridge game between the generations. The gen- yeah, that's probably true. Which is a big deal. Would I mean, be... that tech's looking pretty hot already yeah. on the current machine. We'll have so. to get through uh, Watch Dogs 3 first. Yeah, which also was leaked this it's week. That's coming in, yeah. in, it takes place in England. It takes place in London. Which, gonna be, that's uh, where... The last Creed was that actually had the yeah, t- <laughs> funny, yeah. Funny how it all worked. All those things are all connecting and together. Well, and the Watch Dogs, Watch Dogs Two did confirm that Watch Dogs and Assassin's Creed take place in the same universe. universe. Yeah, so, so I mean, we just we got the hint for this from the Division Two. Right. How crazy is that? Division had a couple of things like that. It did. It? It yeah. Interesting, but yeah, London. Really I think that's where the Watch Dogs thing came from too. Is like it was some data data mining thing. Oh, it did something like that. Yeah. yeah. London, modern London's a good choice. It's a cool choice for that. We'll see I like that Ubisoft somehow, some way, all their stuff gets leaked. Yeah, well, they're bi- they're a big company. They are big, and you they're got, all over the world. You got eight hundred people around the globe working on your game. Someone, but, someone's going to talk. <laughs> yeah, and if it doesn't leak by traditional means, like someone will just see something on like a subway train. Like it's just no matter what, their stuff leaks every time. It's mm. crazy to me and bizarre. All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about GameStop. it's always Kotaku. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. If it's not that, it's Kotaku. You're right. Kotaku like, has like sources. There, like, there must be, like, propaganda posters at Ubisoft of Schreier. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, someone talked with a so, dagger in it. Who knows this guy? <laughs> because he keeps getting the info, so his source hasn't Just been pan over out and It's yet. like him in a fake mustache. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> That's great. All right, we're... We're going to move on. We're going to talk next about GameStop. Taking pictures of concept art with like a little thumb camera. Like yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> this may be the last time we talk about GameStop. <laughs> we, it uh, was... I think we'll talk about them again when they finally When they finally fold. Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> we ain't done. Yeah, so GameStop last year had, I don't know if it was his talk worst about all, year We talk about all our great memories of GameStop. It'll be our shortest segment ever. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Uh GameStop lost 
673 million dollars last year. There's only this is only the second year ever the company lost money. Mm-hmm. Ever. It's a lot. And not only did it lose money, it lost 673 million. That's enough money to make Halo Infinite. Here's the thing though. That last year, they also sold that crappy cell phone business that they were right. in for like 400 million. So they actually lost like a billion dollars basically last year. Holy crap, man. How could you go from turning a profit to essentially losing a billion dollars a year later? Well, you would, you would have to be a shitty pawn shop that tries to bilk people out of their video games. For that less is where money than worth. it has lost almost all the revenue. And all used game sales. Yep. The digital world. That's what. So earlier uh, we were talking about this. I wanted to segue into this so hard, hmm. but I knew it was like several topics away, so I didn't. Uh, so when we were talking earlier about that was kind of what I was hinting at is like yeah. all these things. That Wolfenstein copy is never coming back to GameStop. Right. Yeah, I mean, and so... Well, I guess it could, but then you just buy a box. Yeah, you're... <laughs> so I wonder if you trade it in, will they just take the box? Yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you 20 cents for the box. Go Matt, away. why do you think used game sales have fallen through the floor? I think because people have shifted to buying digital and you can't sell those back. I mean, that the, the really volume, might basically, be It's just it. the volume has changed. Yeah, I mean, they don't have people coming in there every day like... Hey, I just bought this a week ago. Now give me $5 for it and sell it for mm-hmm. 50 And I wonder, too, if people have are so educated on what GameStop is doing that they're just like, why would I ever sell it to That's them? That's part of it. And I'm also like, you know, for a long time, Best Buy's Gamer Club thing was a better deal. Right. Um, Amazon's was a better deal. Uh, a lot of people find good deals for, like, codes or whatever online. Um you know, the, the digital market has taken a big bite and, and also competitors, the big box competitors that woke up to like the idea that like, hey, there's there's a market here and GameStop is terrible at this, especially new game sales. I mean, remember that, you know, that was the whole thing. It's like they got in as many copies of a new game as to fill pre-orders plus like three more copies. Yeah. Like you couldn't get them. Yeah. yeah I remember when, and I remember when, uh, you know, the last generation only was when, Places like Best Buy or Target or Walmart started getting games in day of release. Yeah. Because previously, the big thing with pre-ordering at GameStop was because if you, you didn't get it at you GameStop, it. you weren't going to get it from a normal retail store for yeah. another day or two. Yeah. And so, you know, and certainly Amazon didn't have, you know, day of delivery yet for yeah. that kind of, you know, release day delivery. So, like... GameStop they, was also the only one that's doing, like, midnight sales for most right, games. Right, and, Or you got, like, the, the old pre-order bonus shtick where you get the right. code for the extra sword you didn't ever use. Yeah. Or whatever. Um, it's... Uh, and those... To be... And some of that stuff is still not available. Like, reinstalling some, like, backwards compatible stuff on the on the Xbox One. I noticed, like, some of my stuff there has, like, pre-order bonuses from things. You still can't buy them separate. Like, the, wow. I mean, they're useless, but they, they but were they hung in there. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they were they legit. But, like, yeah, I think I think the, the competition just figured out, like, hey, we can do this better than you. And, you know, you already sort of had this, this sort of hostage situation with most of the gaming public. Where not, I don't think anybody, any of us like GameStop. No, I don't know anyone. Know? I've never met somebody who said they right? like GameStop. Like, and it's like you went there because you had to. Because yeah. otherwise, you, you know, in the instant, I could get stuff the day of from Amazon or the day of or midnight launch at Best Buy. Like down, you know, literally two doors down from GameStop in West Hollywood. Yeah, I'm going to Best Buy. Screw you. I don't want to. 
be here if I don't have to be. I, I watched a YouTube video about a week ago of a guy who was a lot like us and had been hardcore into games like his whole life and had a huge collection and he just decided he was over it and he took everything to a GameStop. <laughs> and he literally had a pickup truck full of video games, like that many boxes full of games. It was literally like one of us going to GameStop. And it was one of the most demoralizing things I've ever seen. First of all, he ended up going back with like half of his games. Hmm. Because GameStop wouldn't even buy them, even for a quarter. They just wouldn't even flat out take them. And the average price, after they got the money and they basically divided by how many games they had sold, the average cost he got per game was like 43 cents. Yeah. 43 cents. Sounds about right. How can you run a business where you pay a dollar or less for everything and then sell it for at least 30 to $50 and not stay solvent. I don't know. It is mind blowing. I guess you just don't move any product. Really? I mean, you go to game, you go to GameStop, you go to trade in one of your games or sell them one of your games. If you just bought it like the week before, they'll give you like $10 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Then you go over and right there they are being sold for 50 bucks. It's like, I can't believe it took people so long to be like, you know what, screw that. Like, I'm not going to give you this game for nothing. Like, you, you, I'd rather keep it or sell it on eBay or whatever. There's a million other ways that you can get more money out of that game. I haven't understood why people have done it ever. I've never sold anything to GameStop in my entire life, ever. I've never traded anything in there. Have you? Um, I don't think so. If I did, it was like old copies of Madden that I got from, yeah. like, you know, work or something, you know, like maybe, but, like, you never got enough for it to make it worth it. It, was, it wasn't worth the gas you used to get to the store it's most not. of the time. It's not. That's the crazy part. That's what that kid was like. Was, Holy crap, like, my whole life, I just, he ended up getting, like, I think it was, like, $400. That's what you sell on eBay. He, <laughs> he made, like, 400 bucks. Just, I mean, he probably made, he made probably... Five times that off the ad revenue from the video. <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. Like, he legitimately did. So, used game sales are going away. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a failing business. Shrewd, sir. Yeah, uh, I yeah. see what you did there. Yeah. What do you do if you're GameStop at this point? There's nothing you can do. Die. You're dying. That's <laughs> it. I mean, the Funko Pops, the only thing keep, keeping you afloat for a while, but even that seems to be it's, slowing yeah. down. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, no, it actually went up again. Like, their merchandise stuff went up again year mm. over year, but when the bottom's falling out of everything else. Well, now their new thing is, like, they're trying to be an eSports, like, locale, right? Like, yeah, their new CEO, his idea to pull GameStop up out of the murk and the muck was to start eSports schools at GameStops. <laughs> You can't make this shit up. You can't. No, like I think like there's there's a there's an idea in there. Says a there's a nugget of something in there to try to turn the GameStops into something similar to like what like local board game stores are. Like you a know hangout. I mean? Like a hangout where people go and paint their miniature. You know, like oh, there's a board game store like around here, and it's like a bunch. Of, like you go paint the miniatures. You have game nights. People come play Magic. Or they do tournaments and stuff. Like there's a, there's something there, but that is such a that is such a hard pivot for a national chain. They would have to gut. Like I don't even know what you'd have to yeah. store. They have to gut and remodel every store, change yeah. the layout. But then you lose all the shelf space. If you make it like a lounge, where does mm. all the stuff go that you're supposed to well, sell? Well, even like, how, when was the last time you were in a GameStop that had an even floor? Oh, I know. 
<laughs> that doesn't have random steps everywhere and shit, it's so right? It's funny that you would bring that up. <laughs> like, you're right. Like, everything's a ramp or a thing. Yeah. Like like Particularly weird. back in the old days when they were called Funko Land. Those stores oh, were yeah. really, really bad. Funko Land almost put us out of business when I was running an independent store in 99. We know that's what GameStop is. It was originally Funko Land. Yeah? Yeah. See, I, GameStop was the... To me, GameStop is like the... Electronics Boutique. And well, no, Electronics Boutique was what we had. We had Electronics Boutique and Software, etc. and Babbages. Babbages, yeah. And like... And, uh, and I then bought my GameStop, Dreamcast GameStop came in. Like GameStop came in like a giant amoeba of suck yeah and, just started, and then a, we didn't have any funko lands until 1999 they were originally funko funko land, land opened across the street from the the independent game store i, I managed in 99 and shut you guys and down didn't sh there, i mean the store's still there in some form because we also had a dj annex oh that kept like the music kept kept the, kept the doors open oh. and also we accepted um any games. So we went all the way back to Atari 2600. Right, right. So we had the advantage of Oh, that. yeah, they cut yeah. you off at GameStop yeah. now. At like, I think maybe even like Xbox 360 and PS3. Yeah, that's as far back as it goes, yeah. I think. They don't even take original Xbox, PS2. What happens to all that inventory when GameStop folds? Where do all Trash. those used games go? Probably. They just throw them away? Landfill somewhere, probably. Wow, that's crazy to think about. I mean, I'm sure they'll do, like, kind of last-minute fire sale stuff, but, like... Do you think somebody buys their inventory? Who? I don't know. Who would want Me? that? Me. <laughs> you want 14 copies of <laughs> Madden, of Madden 20, 2002? <laughs> they don't even have any NFL that Quarterback Club 2000? Their backlog only goes back to, like, 2005. Now. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it just boggles my mind. In some there's a gold mine of, of original copies of Condemned Criminal Origins, but I don't know... <laughs> Who wants to pay 40 cents for that? I mean, look, I understand their profit margins are really slim on games. They make 12 bucks per game, and that's it. Uh, but when your profit margins on the used stuff is that high and you can't succeed, I mean, it's, the used it's game time to fold the tent. The used game market just isn't what it used to be because of the digital element. Like, people are more willing now to, for better, better or worse, to throw, they throw money at this thing that they're never going to get money back for. And to be fair, they never really got a lot of money back for it anyway. I'm wondering if GameStop's used game policies and the pittance that they pay for used games is a big reason why people have gone digital because they look at it most people think about yeah, reselling really a losing? game right when they think about reselling a game they're not thinking about selling it to like you or me on or on craigslist or on ebay they're thinking to themselves when i take this back to gamestop they're going to offer me a dollar 25 for mm -hmm. it well, also, like, you know, you've had things like the Amazon Club and, and right. you know, there, there are other places to take your used games. And even if they beat GameStop by, like, a quarter. That's a quarter. That's a quarter. You know, per game. That's a more that trading. Up. Yeah. So. so I'm just wondering if GameStop's policies and those have other actually contributed to the demise of GameStop. Well, I'm sure it did. Think about it. Because if you're yeah, offering nothing. We've, we've been waiting nothing. for this for, like, 20 years. I know, I know. But if you're offering nothing for used games... And that's your business. You're decentivizing people to contribute to the biggest part of your business. Yeah, but like they, they were like, it's like they're like, it's like suicide. Right, but like they used to be the only game in town for that, no pun intended. And like they were not the thinking and the, long. Sheer, the sheer volume of it kind of came. Yeah. They, you know, they didn't see the digital thing coming. They didn't see these other major companies like jumping in these big box stores, kind of trying to get in on the action. Big box stores that have the revenue and 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 you know and pockets to do that and beat them at their own game and not feel it. Whereas like GameStop clearly does not have that kind of war chest. And um, 
they've always been a shitty company. They like, have, they've, yeah. they've, they're, they're a giant pawn grifter Pretty much. operation. Yeah. Like using pawn shop tactics to like pull in kids to sell their, you know, these games for a pittance so they can get a little bit more credit to the next game they want for the next hit. Yeah, it's know? just chasing, it's bad chasing bad. And for a long time, you know, I didn't like them, but I went to them all the, went there all the time because they were the only game in town. They were the ones that got the games in on the day of release. They got the consoles on launch day. They, they got, got the, the biggest allotment. They got the stuff allotment. on launch day. They yeah. did stuff at midnight. They, you know, like I didn't like going there, but this yeah. the, I didn't have a choice. They're a necessary and, evil. And as yeah. soon as they did change it, you know, it's, it, was, it was like right around the same time that, that theaters started selling tickets for specific seats. Hell yeah, I'm going to the theater with yeah, the specific seats. Yeah. Hell yeah, I'm going to go over to Best Buy where they don't treat me like a freaking pariah. Um, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't have a lot of, you know, celebratory feelings towards GameStop, you know, going out of business because the end result of that is like thousands of people are going to lose their jobs and that's yeah. not, that's not cool and that's yeah. not okay and it sucks, but like you're at a point where just like that business model doesn't fly It's anymore. corporate Darwinism, basically. Right. Yeah. And like there, maybe there's a way to pivot on that, but like you'd think that for a business, for an industry as big and lucrative as video games, there'd be a way to kind of have a chain store dedicated to video games that can like bring people in and be sort of, you know, like, like I, that's why I say, I think there's a nugget of something in that idea of making it into kind of the equivalent of a board game store. But like you say, do you even have the money that it would require to make your company into that and is anyone willing to give it to you also the time to do that was like five years ago yeah i think that there is an opportunity to have a successful business as a video game pawn shop Mm -hmm. where you're respectful of the people and instead of giving them a dollar 25 per game you give them like what's fair and instead of charging fifty dollars for that used copy of the game you charge what's fair like thirty or forty dollars that to me, if you don't have the other part of the business bloat that Best Buy ha- or that GameStop has, mm-hmm. you could be successful doing that. Unfortunately, GameStop is this gigantic conglomerate that has its fingers in like five different pies, and that's ultimately, I think, what's going to bring it down. Mm-hmm. So, it is. Uh, if, I, d- have they been delisted from the stock market yet? No. There's what is their share price at right now? I don't know. I bet you it's like in pennies, like under a dollar at this point. Um, it's crazy to think about the only brick and mortar store to go and get games is quickly going to be Best Buy. If you think about it, Best Buy, Target, um, Walmart, Walmart. Walmart's the big, the 800 pound gorilla. Yeah. In that realm. Big box stores though. That's it. Yeah. GameStop stock is, uh, $9.82. Wow. I cannot believe it has that much value. It was down. Well, Yeah. But still, who... I mean, that's the freaking graph. Yeah, would you ever buy GameStop stock? Like, how does it worth $10? I wouldn't have bought it when it was doing well. Yeah, I I wouldn't either. So... Times have been changed. It's been been pretty pretty crazy with Sifted. Article right here on the Motley Fool. Can can GameStop stock bounce back in 2019? It's clearly not doing well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, first week of February, shares dropped 29% for the week. So yeah, like I mean, you're right. You're right. It's falling. It's not. It's, it's not headed to penny ahead. stock. It's headed there. I mean, the ideally, you um, you know, you you liquidate before you hit the point where you're worth ten cents right. a share. You know, like yeah. that's, that doesn't happen too often. Um, but you know, the 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 slope is visible. <laughs> it's it's def- heading that yeah. way. If they you, stick around you, for another year and a half or two years, it's definitely that scene in Toy Story three where they're all sliding towards the fire in a furnace. If you have GameStop stock, go sell it right now. It's not bouncing back. I've look, I've been caught in stock. You know, GameStop stock, build a time machine and tell your 2012 self to sell the yeah. stock. Yeah. Like, 
But I've been caught in know, a situation in before there. where I had a stock and the stock kept dropping. And you get to a certain point where you're like, I've lost so much now, there's no way I'm selling it for this price. And it's a huge mistake. It's a huge yeah, something's better than nothing. mistake. And I cannot sell it. I mean, is there a possibility that they could come back from the brink? Yeah. I like, mean, it's razor not to, thin. Not one that you would want to bet your own money I can't on. think of a single indicator that would lead me to believe that. Not one. Not that's there right now. Nope. No. So if you own it, get out. Get out now. But, well, it's still worth, I can't believe it's worth $10 a share. I mean, the high is much <laughs> bigger than that. my mind. I figured it was like at least below five bucks and probably below a dollar. But some people still own it for no, some it's, reason. It's too big for that. Yeah. I guess when you pull in that much revenue, even if you're just flushing it all down the toilet. <laughs> so, hey, power just went out here. We, uh, we got a big windstorm in L.A. Yeah, it's been really windy today, and the power just went completely out, and we just lost the episode. I don't even know if you guys can see this or you're watching it right now, to be honest with you. Um, hmm. So. <laughs> yeah, they can see it. They just told us to start the whole episode over. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, we have files. They're corrupted. I don't know if you guys remember this happened once before, and I did end up recovering the episode, but you guys probably remember it looked really crappy and sounded really bad, and that was after I worked my butt off to figure it out. So I'm going to have to try it again. Uh, this may end up being a lost episode of Game Face, mm -hmm. which really sucks because there was a lot of work that went into this. But uh, Any kind of Twitch archive you can get to, or is that set We don't archive happen? it, yeah. We, we don't have it set up to archive on Twitch because obviously people pay for the show. So uh, GameStop got its revenge, apparently. Yeah. There must have been somebody watching outside with, like, <laughs> wire cutters outside your house. They were not happy about our discussion, apparently. Well, so they were kind of kind enough to fix the wires five seconds later. Yeah, so at the very least, hopefully the power doesn't go out again. At the very least, we'll have uh, the last... We'll have the last topic, which is coming up. The show is almost over. That's the worst part. Literally... It was like 15 minutes till the show was over. Um, <coughs> this really sucks. So anyway, we're going to finish the last topic. We're going to show the trailer of the week. We're going to do Q&A, and at least we'll have something. Um, and I'm going to do my best to try to get the rest of the episode recovered. It doesn't look good. We'll see. So anyway, let's move on with the last topic of today's episode, and that is the Elder Scrolls Blades. Probably the first time we've ever finished an episode of Game Face with a mobile game. And it will probably be the last time we ever finish an episode. With typically, any, With any luck. Yeah, typically the last topic, if you haven't figured it out yet, is the biggest topic in Game Face. And uh, this, oddly <coughs> enough, is the biggest game of this week. So, yeah. Once we finally figured out how to make it active. Yeah, so it's been a week-long process. Last week when we recorded the show, we had been trying to get in the game. And then a few days later... They finally opened it up to everybody, and uh, Matt and I have both played it. Matt, well, actually, what happened was uh, you had to register on your Bethesda account on their site, as well as being registered as a pre-order on the uh, Play Store or the App Store. Oh, um, that's why we didn't get in until they opened the whole floodgates. Was you had to be registered on both things, oh. and I didn't find that out until days and days later because they don't tell you. Yeah, that. they don't tell you that. Yeah. Um, Bethesda going to Bethesda, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, Matt and I, we've got in, and we have been playing the Elder Scrolls Blades. And what do you think, Matt? Uh, I think I'm done playing the Elder Scrolls Blades. <laughs> um, I, I am too. I don't like this game at all. Uh, I like the idea of it. 
Um, but like, I don't like how it controls. I don't like how the combat works. I don't really don't like how the spells work. Um, and I just kind of find it boring. So uh, I've I played some of it. I played like, you know, the opening thing. You, get, you build your town up. I played like the thing where you rebuild the blacksmith and like go on a couple quests with that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't want to play this anymore. Like I, I played even less than that and I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I played less, less than you did. No, 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 you no? haven't. You played more than I have. I did not refurbish the blacksmith or maybe you just refurbished a different building than me. No, it was the black. It was the fir- I think it's the, you build the town hall and then you have to go talk to the blacksmith and he sends you to go talk to like the blade master. You have to collect more lumber. Um, I quit after I refurbished the town hall. I wanted to, but I kept going because I figured we were gonna like talk about stuff. So Which I, we are. I didn't even know, I didn't know it was an option to go, leave after that. Like, <laughs> it's always an option. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I did not enjoy. I already didn't this game. play Yoshi, so I figured I better commit to this one. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't enjoy this at all. I, I like the biggest problem is the controls. Like, I don't like how any of the touchscreen stuff works. Me either. Um. Maybe we should, we should talk about how the controls work yeah. first. So you can kind of guess by looking at the screen. You can see how fighting works. So you hold your finger on the screen, and the longer you hold it, I think the more powerful your your swing is. Yeah, and it, the swing only pops out when the thing turns yellow. Yeah. Like if it's if it's still in the red, nothing happens. And then on the left hand, there's a little shield icon. And you just tap that if you want to block the incoming attacks. Although it seems like you still get hit. Even if you block, you still take. I mean, yeah, you for take certain some damage. Things, like certain weapons seem to do still do a little bit of damage, but like there's food laying around everywhere, so it doesn't really matter. Now, all the periphery parts of this game, I was pretty impressed with. Like the character creation tool, all mm. this stuff, like the 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 tech trees and everything. Like they're surprisingly robust. Yeah, it's like they 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 cram the whole Elder Scrolls like you know situation in here. Yeah, it's just. Tapping to move and having to like, I mean, if you if you did if you redid this game as like a budget game, like on the consoles that you could play with a controller, I'd probably pay like twenty bucks for it. Like, mm. if it was if it played <laughs> if it played like a real Elder Scrolls. I mean, obviously this is not the scope of a real Elder Scrolls. It's just sort of like go do a mission. There's no open world. It's just like go do a mission. You know, crawl through the dungeon, hit some stuff with a sword, and like you're done. But like, yeah, and you get teleported to places. Yeah. It's not like you actually travel to the dungeon. No, you like, you say like, you pick the quest and you go like start quest, and it takes you to where you're gonna do like the dungeon you're gonna do this in, and then you tap uh, where you want to walk. The weird thing about the tapping to walk is I've played a fair number of things with like where you tap to walk and stuff. It's both in VR and in like mobile stuff. I've never seen one like, that has such terrible pathfinding. Like you get stuck on shit Everything. in this game. Like. The whole point of tapping to walk somewhere is you should auto walk and not run into pillars. Like, yeah, but, so you but have to actually like constantly. line yourself up and make sure you have a clear line between you and what you tap, because mm-hmm. otherwise your character just randomly gets caught on objects. Oh, and the ch- oh, the chest system. And it's very oh. awkward to get uh, to then get away from whatever object it is that you're stuck on. And again, this is beta, so. Maybe we should be a little gentle with it, but... Yeah, but at the same time, like, a lot of the stuff is not going to... Like, the, the chess system 
You find chests in the dungeons, and when you get a chest, you don't open the chest, you get the chest. Yeah. And it goes in your little chest inventory, and then you're supposed to, like, go to the chest and open the chest, but to open the chest, you have to wait a certain amount of time for the chest to be openable. So you can pay gems to skip the wait, um, and, like... It doesn't. It is mean, the weirdest monetization so strategy it's like, I've ever. Like, seen. why am I waiting for the chest to open? And like, even like the, the basic chests take like five seconds to wait right. to open. Yeah, it's like and I it's don't. Like, where are they going to get money is, from this? I mean, the silver chest presumably takes more like a couple hours or something if you find like a really good chest. But it's like, so what? I'll go to bed. Like, <laughs> right? But also, it's like usually these things, if they're if they're gonna like, if they're gonna like integrate them so heavily into like kind of the setting or the lore come up with a better reason why this thing can't happen immediately like does does the chest need to be in the mood like what like what are you what, what are you waiting for like like what's are you are you do you have like your people like, it needs working on it first like like, like picking like, you have like a like a friend picking the lock for a few hours or something like what's going on like i don't understand why that's the mechanic you have to wait to do i've been at it's once so weird i've been at once pleasantly surprised and gravely disappointed by this game it yeah. looked visually. It looks, looks really good. It looks better than I thought it was gonna look. Music's really good. Music's good, and Music's honestly, it's good in all Elder Scrolls stuff. Though, yeah, really. And honestly, it has more Elder Scrolls than I thought it was going to. As far as like building your character and yeah, specking it, it out is your... identifiably Elder Scrolls. I will give it that. But then you have to play it, right? And that's where it just all goes to crap. I also, I I played this for a couple hours. And it literally drained my entire phone. Oh, battery. it's a vampire! You it can literally almost watch your battery drain on your phone. Mm -hmm. And I have an iPhone X. It's supposed to be made for this crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the big thing. It's like I have oh. an eight, and I played it for like I played like that one blacksmith quest line. I played today, this morning, and it drained my battery by a third. Just doing that one quest. It and, it is uh, a hog. I had to plug it in because I use the I use the phone for you know to read chat while we're doing this. So I had to like recharge it before we did the show because it it drained, it drained it. And I mean that happens. It's it's you know nature of the beast. But like wow, no kid. It, usually you at least have to be using Wi-Fi for that to happen. Right. Yeah. And that. I uh yeah. I, and I, there is clearly some online component to this because it logs into something. But there's a lot of looting, a lot of crafting. So when you go, after you finish a mission, you go back to, like, your main town. Yeah, the town's been destroyed by, like, raiders or something. So, like, the, the, the main thrust of, like, what you're doing is you're trying to, like, rebuild your hometown, like, building by building by building. But you never go into those buildings. No, there's not. You can't. They're really just icons, anything. basically. <laughs> they just, yeah, they're just locate. You, you live in the street, apparently. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed in this game. I don't know if some of you guys have got in on the early access. I mean, anybody can now. You just go download it. It's basically released now. Um, I don't know. Maybe somebody's playing yeah. it a lot farther. I, I'm I'm reluctant to pass judgment too fast over what happened with Yoshi after last week and then finishing the game. Uh, so I don't want to just say it's because somebody could have made it eight hours into this thing and it gets mm. awesome. I don't know. I don't know. If like, you ever improve, like, well, like the walking it, and all that. Didn't they say it was also coming to other platforms? Like, if it came to other platforms with normal controls, it might not be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It would be better. Like, give it a standard action-based combat thing or something where I don't have to, like, hold a freaking touchscreen. You know, it is very pretty, though. It is. For a mobile game, I mean, there aren't many Switch games that look as good as this. Yeah. That's... <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. No, you don't. 
It's crazy what they're doing with <laughs> yeah. mobile now. It's really mind-blowing. Well, they're more powerful than the Switch. Yeah, it's crazy. But that didn't make it fun to play. No. no graphic, <laughs> graphics aren't everything. <laughs> That's for damn sure, especially when you're talking about this game. So... Look, it's free. Just play it and imagine how good Elder Scrolls Six will look in. Seven I mean, years. that's really the sad part. <laughs> is this all? This is all the Elder Scrolls we're gonna get for a long, yep. long time. It's like this is it. This is what we have to play unless, until we get six. Unless they, unless, unless someone over there realizes, like, hey, you might want to fast track that sucker. Yeah, I mean, if they were counting on this to fill the coffers while they waited for their next big Elder Scrolls game. They need to re uh, reconfigure their. Although I don't know, maybe it will. I mean, you know, we are not the best barometer of what mobile games are going to succeed and not succeed. I just wonder if casual folks are going to stumble across an Elder Scrolls game. They will if they put it high enough on the. If they pay to the, get it up on, on, the, on the, the app store, yeah, yeah you're but, right. Yeah, I mean, and hell, look, it looks like this. I mean, you, yeah. if if I was just casual and I, if I saw that screenshot. I would totally try it. Yeah, and Bethesda's done pretty well with mobile. In fact, you could argue it's doing better with mobile than it is on consoles. So, Fallout Shelter is a big hit. It's a huge hit. So, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys have had better better luck with this game. You've enjoyed it more. But I didn't really glean anything enjoyable from this game from what I played of it. Yeah, I... I um... It's not, not for me. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm not even sure who it is for. It's probably too console-y for most mobile players, but not console-y enough. Yeah, that's sort of part of the problem. Is like it feels, the it does feel a little like it's demanding controls that just aren't here on the mobile. It's like, which like, I never thought I'd ask for a mobile game to be more dumbed down, but it kind of, <laughs> it, it kind of there. I mean, you, you're kind of understanding why they're dumbed down in the first place, right? right? Because that's what works on the platform. So. Uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody out there is enjoying it more than I am. I and you can convince me to pick it back up and give it another go. That's you're gonna have yeah. to really, really sell me on that. But in the meantime, sit back and wait for the PS5 version of Skyrim. <laughs> that is, that, that's you know that's inevitably going to be released before Elder Scrolls. Oh yeah, 6. of course. <laughs> Fill the gap between uh, Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six. Yep. You it, know I'm right. Like, it's it's gonna happen. What's really sad. Is that this may be the only part of Game Face 163 that ever the public ever sees? We had to talk about a god awful game for it. So, there you go. The Elder Scrolls Blades. You can download it for free and find out for yourself, but I think you're going to find that Matt and I are right on the money <laughs> on this one. I mean, it's early access. It could always get better. It's true. It's true. All right, it's time for our trailer I of the still week. I don't understand how the spells work. Uh, like I clicked the spell thing and then just like fire appeared on the side and nothing happened and then I would just like tap on it and like a bunch of fires. Like, yeah, that's what you out. do. You basically you initiate it and then you still have to attack the enemy with it. It doesn't really tell you that. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> Figured it out. Crazy. It's time for our trailer of the week. It's not been a great week for trailers. In fact, most of the trailers that were good this week we ended up using in other topics, so we did the best we could. And the trailer of the week this week is for the Division Two. I basically laid out its first year of updates in DLC. Um, a raid is coming, a bunch of other stuff. Check it out. Agents of the Division. As the Black Tusk invaded Washington, D.C., they left their stronghold exposed. We found a breach, and they will not expect us. This is our chance to save the nation. Invasion unfolds the story of the battle for DC and will be deployed across three updates. Starting with Title Update 2 that introduces the most heavily defended and dangerous stronghold, 
Tidal Basin. You will need to gear up and collaborate with other agents to take on this new challenge. This update adds two new exotic weapons. Three new gear sets giving you specific bonuses for new playstyles. The first apparel event to make history in style. And a new PvP map, Fort McNair. Title Update 3, Operation Dark Hours, sets the ground for the epic fight over the control of the city. Fight side by side with your friends in the first ever eight player raid. You and your team need to gear up to face this challenge, as it will put you to the test and require expert coordination to be completed. This update also adds the first classified assignments. And Title Update 4 will bring the fourth specialization and its lethal new signature weapon. Get instant access to three new specializations as they release and uncover the secrets of the fall of DC with the Year One Pass. The battle for DC has just begun. Thanks to everybody who subscribed via Twitch Prime during the show. Uh, thank you to the people who just did it and waited for our uh, trailer of the week. Uh, Andrew9413, thank you for subscribing. And there was a couple others. The chat also is not working for me on my iPad. And uh, Veritas. And Chevelman1979, thank you guys for subscribing via Twitch Prime. It's a huge help. Um, won't send out the message for the YouTube folks this episode because they probably won't ever see this episode. Uh, you guys are uh, also Freedom Rock. Wow, you have a great name. Turn, <laughs> Turn it, it up, it up man. man. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, a lot of you guys are maybe the only people who ever see this episode. The people who made it on the stream tonight. So there you go. We'll see. I'm gonna do my best, but I've walked down this road before and it was it sucked. Oh, thank you. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this some of the chat I'm getting is old. We're also having problems like getting the chat to work correctly right now. So, uh, let's see. Do you guys have any questions for us today? Maybe they were already in the chat and they were deleted. You're gonna have to probably. Uh... Yeah, I have them. Um, Vincent, uh, have you prepared your bomb shelters for when Red Dead Redemption Two is announced as an epic exclusive later this year? That's possible. Yeah, well, Take-Two already did that with, uh, he even says, Take-Two did that with Outer Worlds. Yep. And now Borderlands 3. Yep. Buckle up. I mean, is there, a be is there a better game for them to do that with? No. No. Man, it's... Like, you want to talk about the game that puts you in a critical mass with that Epic Store. That's pretty insightful and forward-thinking, Vincent, that you picked up on that. But you're absolutely right. That is something that could happen. Joaquin Dragoon, thank you for the bits, man. <laughs> That'll make the uh, sting of losing an entire episode of Game Face a little... Heard a little less. W. Matthew asks, what do you think of EA leaving the AAA game development and just focusing on sports and mobile? That feels like a good move for both EA and the players. Hmm. I mean, that doesn't solve the problem of no Star Wars games coming out. I mean, it, I guess conceivably and they then would... what happens to Bioware? They would lose the license or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think they might anyway. But, right. But then, and then, like, what happens to Bioware? They start making NBA Live. <laughs> <laughs> But really in-depth But you seasons. know what? BioWare could not make a worse basketball game than the one that EA has been making. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got, okay, so like you've got five players on the court. BioWare games traditionally have four major places where quests happen. And yeah. the other than the last. So, okay, so you play the point guard and you have to go on quests <laughs> to get the other, the other players, your, your starting lineup. 
Hey, I would I've buy already, that freaking yeah, game. I've already come up it with a bet. It would be the yeah. first ever great sports RPG. And you have to play like pickup games to like you know beat like the locals to convince the guys that you like. We just figured it all out. We just figured out what's going to happen for Bioware. They're going to start NBA making RPG. sports games, or they yeah. should make like a Madden RPG. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I joke, but I it might happen. I hate to say it, but it's not that implausible. That EA would be like, let's pivot these guys. They just rip Bioware apart and make them do like the story modes for yeah, Madden. Madden. Yeah, it wouldn't shock me. Nothing would shock me at this point. Anything else? Um, we probably lost our whole audience when the stream went down. Joaquin, Joaquin Dragoon, what do you think the big game will be for Square Enix in the fall? My money is on Avengers. Um, you'd like to think that, but like we're going to have to wait till e E3 to see if they actually show Avengers. It, feel, it feels to me like the reason they wouldn't have shown Avengers until now is because something about the Avengers game ties in with what Endgame turns out yeah, to be what the hell? About. Now this is the last movie. They're going to put it out, and like the IP is going to be kind of like yesterday's news. Not remotely. Yeah. Um, the, the Marvel movies are these zeitgeist Or people will be begging for more at that point. They want, begging for more. It'll be coming out on video around that the fall. Um, That's probably what'll happen. It's also it's probably the most anticipated film of all time. Um, it you know it took six hours to out pre-sell uh, the previous record holder, which is The Force Awakens, which was probably one of the most anticipated movies before that. Yeah. Uh, and before that, uh, I'm Phantom surprised Menace. that this is more anticipated than that. Here's the thing. Uh, and this is the interesting thing about this anticipation for Endgame versus the the other two most anticipated films of all time in terms of sort of the cult, you know, the pop cultures that guys are probably Phantom Menace and The Force Awakens. Um, the interesting thing about those two is that they were anticipated because they they are the return and sort of semi reboot of a franch the franchise that has been gone for a long time. It had been sixteen years since Return of the Jedi when Phantom Menace came out. 20 years old next month. Um, Crazy. And then Force Awakens, you know, obviously it had been 10 years since uh, Revenge of the Sith. Mm -hmm. Endgame is the first majorly anticipated film of this nature, the blockbuster sci-fi film of this nature. The reason it's anticipated is not because something people love has been gone and is returning. It's because something has been a constant presence and a positive, positively received thing by the audience for 11 years. Right. They've, they are not returning in glory. They are building to a crescendo, which no one has ever done in film before. Yeah, not to this extent, for sure. No, like this is this is unprecedented, and it, everything Marvel Studios has done building to this is goes against every form of industry wisdom. Yeah, they have they bucked, worked bucked everything. It's and, and also notice that no other studio working out of the major major players has pulled off anything similar. Yeah, because it's so weird. There's no, it's also, there's no playing, game plan. For you're this. playing the really long game as they well. Are. I mean, they are. we're looking at possibly an $800 million opening weekend, which puts it in striking distance of Avatar. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah. Uh, th and also, remember, the Marvel movies are going to define an entire generation and already have to some degree. Like, you've already got people like YouTubers in their 20s with jobs and careers and everything talking about how when Iron Man 1 came out, they were 12. Yeah. You know, like these, yeah. these people grew up with these movies. Um, so yeah, it will always be viable to put an Avengers game out. Um, this fall would be a very good time for it. Uh, if well, I think you're right on whenever the, vid, the whenever the rental and it comes right. out on Blu-ray. So I look, if we don't see it at E3, it's not coming out this year, but like Mike's suggestion for why we haven't seen anything of it 
is partly because development started pretty much at the same time they announced they had the license, but also because I think it's going to cover everything as much as they can, or like at the very least, it's going to jump off from where Endgame leaves off, leaves the world or the universe, like whatever they do with that. If it's a giant reset button or whatever, you know, who knows? But um, my guess is that they just have not been allowed to show it because it would give something away. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, any other questions? Well, here's one from Majora Tom. Do you think with digital distribution only increasing in how people purchase games, you think we see a re resurgence in single player games, or will it be only a handful of companies pursuing single player? Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about this a little earlier, although mm -hmm. you'll never know because the show was lost. It's <laughs> really bizarre. Uh, we did talk about it earlier, though. Um, yes. We, I mean, we were talking more specifically about how it's affecting GameStop and how GameStop itself is pushing people to digital, mm -hmm. which is keeping people from coming in and spending money at their stores. And it's like this self-repeating cycle of doom for GameStop. Um, but will that result in a resurgence of single-player games? I guess he's saying, like, single-player games are the one thing that's, like, resellable... Yeah, I mean, hmm. That seems like a, a like more of a symptom than than a you know a motivation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see digital really affecting how games are developed. Yeah. Uh, publishers just want to make money, and it's very easier to see a path to riches on a product that lasts. Mm -hmm. versus a product that's a flash in the pan and is yeah. here one day and is gone the next. And like the motivation of the cramming multiplayer modes and everything did come from trying to get people to not sell their games back immediately. Yeah. But I don't think the I don't think the appeal of having someone engage with your game longer and then possibly buying more microtransactions is going away just because things are digital now. No, I don't think so either. It'd be nice. It would. I, I, I do like the single player games, but um freedom rock do you have any thoughts on the new samurai showdown from what you have seen so far looks good yeah i was pleasantly surprised yeah. by it and i'm an old school samurai showdown fan um i know there aren't many but i am one of them i like i, I love that game back in the day i love one and two i think three and four because i went off the rails a bit and then it went 3d and that was bad yeah but um one and two are some of my favorite 2d fighters from that era samurai showdown 2 i think is probably in my opinion the best in the series um I loved it because it was just so eclectic. Like the characters, they didn't. None of them really fit into a style or anything. They. That's funny because they are all actually like archetypes of Japanese no drama. And what's like, that mean? No uh, drama. N O H. It's a form of stage stuff. Like that's 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 specifically uh, what's the the Kabuki theater guy is similar to that. But almost every character in that in that game is based in kind of a stock archetype from like. Uh, Japanese like samurai chumbar. So if you're Japanese, they are the ultimate like or stereotype. Like, or if you know like you know the old like Kurosawa movie, like, you know just sort of like that kind of thing. Like they're called chambara. It's like sort of like almost samurai soap opera. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they've all kind of got you know the down to the, you know the, the 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 taciturn samurai with tuberculosis, Suzukiyo. Yeah. Like, you've got like all that kind got of. Got the guy with the bird. Yeah, the Nakuru Nakuru has the bird. Nakuru is Ruru. Nakuru. <laughs> Is uh, is actually from uh, like the north, like up in uh, like Hokkaido. She's like one of the uh, the natives of Japan uh, who's who have traditionally been uh, discriminated against. 
um, which is why she's like kind of got like there's a stereotype of like them being like in touch with nature, so like we have with like Native Americans. Um, so actually, she's sort of an offensive stereotype, now, <laughs> but they're gonna keep it because fuck it. And um, <laughs> yeah, Galford is like the the loudmouth American who comes in and and like thinks he can be a samurai or a ninja. Like they're all there. It's just we're not familiar with them, so it feels like fresh to us. And like that was kind of the appeal of that game back in the day. Also, the fact that you could cut people in half. Like there was, <laughs> like there wasn't a lot of blood in fighting games. No, then. there you wasn't know, before Mortal. It was before Mortal Kombat when the first one came out. And like the fact that you could like jump in and like cut a guy in half at the fi- end of a round or like you could like sometimes you hit them and they just stand there and like all the blood would spit out of them like in that uh, like in yojimbo like that was really cool too like it was it wasn't like anything else i mean snk games kind of had the fighters ha- had that advantage where they didn't feel like capcom fighters or like sort of the weird midway stuff they also they had their own identity but like samurai showdown was just like nothing else it was a lot of fun sam i just realized that the cameras like all reset because they lost power yeah. So now they're like all zoomed out. Flap, fl- oh, yeah. flip through him real quick. That one doesn't even work. <laughs> Which one? Yours. Oh, it's always <laughs> like all bugged out. I know, Matt. This has been an interesting uh, episode. Let's answer one or two more because <laughs> that's all the show that we have. Yeah. Um, Commander Fett 03. Uh, no surprise he's asking a Star Wars question. Do you guys think that if Fallen Jedi doesn't do well, that Disney will take back the Star Wars license and try out different developers instead of just one developer like they currently are. They can't just drop them because they have a contract. Yeah, the contract's there, but I think that's their plan when the contract runs out, which wouldn't be for a few more years. But the fact that Lucasfilm is starting Lucasfilm Games, again, which is what they were called before they changed the name to LucasArts back in the day, um, the fact that they're starting that kind of department up again indicates to me that they have decided they need not they need a group to sort of supervise the, the EA situation and also like dedicated to that and also you don't form that wing of Lucasfilm unless you think you are going to have to manage individual develop because the point of contracting EA to do that is that you don't need that Lucasfilm games thing because they will take care of that but if you're forming your own sort of branch on that that says to me that they are planning to move forward and like we will handle this and maybe EA will still make Star Wars games but I don't think they're going to have the exclusive license on it or maybe they're creating a division just to wrangle whoever has the license that's possible too because it could be a case where they're like this is a headache and like we don't really have the people here to like Mm -hmm. do this we don't want to do it but the trick there is that it's this it, they did have those people they yeah, just didn't have they, their, did. they didn't have a named a branch yeah. if you're going to f- publicly form this division it means it says to me that you are planning to go outside of your existing contract yeah yeah uh, well so, you can do that you can also once you have that division you have a new business unit you can start staffing up and it, it feels like so i don't think those gonna... people were there but they were probably they were probably weren't just doing that uh for the most part i think they were but it was just I don't think it was an acknowledged priority in the company. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, oh, you guys can just do that. That's what you've always done. And it's yeah. like, I think now, like, you're sort of, like, formalizing it to a degree. And also, I still think, cause, like, I don't think you're going to see them take the contract away from EA when that's up and give the exclusive contract to Ubisoft, say. I think Star Wars games are going to be contracted out to developer or publisher one at a time who's most suitable. That's for a whatever way better idea. Which is, which is how they way, used to do it. It it's, is, you know, yeah. That's so the way it, it should have stayed. So I think that's how Fallen Jedi, one way or the other, I don't think makes or breaks it, but it certainly will help mend that relationship a little bit. Although at the same time, Fallen Fallen Order is sort of being made by the rebels of EA's stable. So yeah. the fact that like it took like Respawn and Vince sort of like going rogue a little bit and making this thing like 
and like EA couldn't get together with one of their normal in-house people doesn't say a whole lot for them either. Yeah. Um, especially because it's not using Frostbite. Like, I really can't emphasize the fact that they went Unreal with this enough. Yeah. Because um, in part, maybe because if you're doing a Jedi game, the last thing you want to have to try and do is come up with a, co- a melee combat system in that Frostbite engine. Yep. Because, okay. um, geez. Yeah. Um, it's not very flexible. Whereas Unreal already has some tools to, to deal Plenty. with Plenty, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, it will help the relationship. I don't think it will solve the problem because, you know, Respawn is not really part of that system, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. You know, like, like when you think about what's happening with the Bioware stuff, like in terms of, like, Shire's Anthem article, like, I, I don't associate Respawn with that same level of, like, interconnectivity with EA. No, uh-uh. You know, even though they're owned by EA now it feels like they're sort of the rebel bad boys a little bit. Yeah, I don't think that, like, Fallen Order is something that's going to make or break the deal with EA. But it ain't going to hurt. Disney. It, won't, it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. But I feel like Disney whatever... Disney already has their opinion. Right. Whatever's going to happen, I think that decision's already been made. Yeah, that's 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 already out the window. And the fact that they've formed Lucasfilm Games, to me, says I mean, it may impact the fact that they'll be like, okay, if we want to make another lightsaber game, we'll have Respawn make it. Yeah, but or maybe we won't force whoever we want to make that to use frostbite. Right, but whether it impacts up. things bigger than that, I don't think so. I think those decisions are being made on a much higher yeah. level with much more. Yeah, and I mean, but, data I mean, and... at the very least, it's going to help in the sense that, like, oh, you made something that wasn't Battlefront, good. Yeah, but at the same time, you you kind of formed a mini dream team for that. You went to respawn, you know, the, the people who made Call of Duty, and you went to Vince, and then he got Stig. The guy who made God of War three, yeah. and you put together a Jedi. It's like it's like, duh. I mean, so exactly what you should have been doing. It's, yeah. it's what EA should have been doing from the start. They should have made their own development company, developer team to make Star Wars games. And to some degree, they did with Amy Hennig and Visceral and all that stuff. Like that's what they did. But they just didn't. It wasn't there. I think a big problem for EA is a lot of the studios that it owns are living in like the dark ages. I think that's what I really. Mm-hmm took away from Schreier's Bioware thing is that Bioware operates like it's still 2003. And that's not the way people make games anymore. It's just not. It's this very intricate but very organized process. And Respawn knows how to do it. It may be one of the studios that created modern game development as far as Mm -hmm. how do you create a gigantic product in two years? Because that's what they had to do. They had to make Call of Duty in like a year or two every time. Like, and they I'm, just learned how the processes work. And I'll tell you one of the ways that response process doesn't work, they don't attribute the last four months of development to magic. Right, yeah. They know what they're doing in the last four like months. Like you can't be Jeffrey Rush in Shakespeare in Love going around like, oh, it'll all work out. Nobody knows, it's a mystery. Like it's, yeah. it's not. No, Respawn makes sure it's gonna work yeah. out. Yeah, so. And Stig, yeah. Yeah. Like, no, is it, it's his name, right? Stig Musin. Stig Asmussen. Yeah. Stig Asmussen. Asmussen, yeah. 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 Like, that dude knows how to put a freaking single-player game together. Yeah, so. he does, but he also had some leeway working Sony First Party for a long time. Yeah. But that's probably good. It's good that you have Vince, the Taskmaster, who knows how to keep a project on time, and you have Stig, who's a little bit more of a dreamer, a little bit more of mm-hmm. like, hey, well, maybe if we have an extra week or two, we can do something like this. Sometimes good stuff comes out of that. Yeah, so I, hope, I mean, these guys made one of the best campaigns uh in recent memory with titanfall 2 yeah which if you haven't played you should yeah for like whatever five bucks yeah, that game costs or something. um if they can bring even half that level of quality to the campaign in this game 
you're going to be looking at one of the best Star Wars games ever. And from yep. a narrative perspective, you're going to be looking at KOTOR level shit. Yep. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I hope, hope it looks good. Yep. <laughs> we're about to find out. We are going to find out. So we're going to cap it there. Uh, since this may be the only part of Game Face that some people ever see, I'm going to go over a couple things that I mentioned at the show open. Um, we got our stickers. So one of the Patreon tiers is Sticker Shock. And if you pledge $1,500 or more per month for at least one month, you get a set of stickers that we created. And I have them here. I want to show them to you. I'm actually going to walk up to the camera so you can really see them. Uh, so the, you get th three different designs. The first one, let's see if we can get the camera to focus on it, is the Sifted Graffiti logo. And these stickers are clear, so you can put them on your windows or your car or whatever, and they have no background on them. You just see the gold. Second one is joystick. And these are white vinyl stickers with black screened on them. All these stickers, by the way, should hold up very well in weather. They're all vinyl stickers, and we went the extra mile to get good ones, as we always do with every piece of merch we make. And then the last one is a bumper sticker that says sifter and the i is the joystick logo and has a little sifted.net there so stick that on your bumper or on your window or your car and help promote the site so anyway again that's a reward that's going out to people who have pledged 15 dollars or more per month if you pledge 15 dollars last month and then drop down this month that's okay we're gonna go back and retroactively send this stuff out and make sure you guys get it one thing that would be awesome if you guys could go on patreon and just proactively send us a message with your mailing address that will keep us from having to go and do a hundred different uh, messages to all you guys. If not, it's fine. We'll do it anyway. So anyway, I promise you I show you the stickers this week and I wanted to do that and now I have. So who knows what's going to end up happening with this episode. We may get the whole thing. We may only get the last topic. Uh, it's going to really suck over the next couple days. One thing I can promise you, the show is definitely not going up tomorrow. Uh, the last time this happened, we kind of recover the show it was still really crappy uh so we'll do the best we can that's all we can do and uh thank you guys for sticking around even after the stream dropped and still being on to do our q a and hang out with us at the end so everyone have a great night game faces up and out